Hello, everyone, and welcome to Recap, the Escapist Weekly Live Show, all about the latest in movies, TV, and streaming. This is episode number 34 for Tuesday, May 30th. Oh, my God, it is the end of the month. That just dawned on me. That is terrifying. Uh, my name is Marty Sleeve, and I'm joined, uh, as as usual, by Frost and, and Darren Mooney. Welcome, guys. I say as usual. I feel like we haven't done one of these in, in a while. We didn't just... do one last week because Darren and I were out. Hey. The week before, Jack was here instead of Darren. So, but but we got we got the big three. Back. But don't worry, you you've, you've traded you've traded down. Uh, at least in my case, um, <laughs> traded down from the nothing of last week, <laughs> like <laughs> negative value. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very good. I am very good. Uh, actually, thrilled to be here. It's actually good to be back. Um, yeah. Next next week, I'll be missing this because of Transformers: Rise of the Beast, and I can say that I would much rather be here. Can we can we do a temperature check on Beast Watch? How are we feeling about the Beast? I'm getting excited about the Beast. I went through gonna- like a little lull. Well, so uh, I I I I want a big, dumb, pretty blockbuster, and Fast X did not do that for me. Oh. It was big and it was dumb, but it was ugly and it was yeah, bad. Yeah, it's never been known for its being yeah. pretty. You know? No, I'm say like I think Beast War Warriors of the Beast will give you two of those. I guarantee it'll give you two of those. I don't think it's giving you three. Like. Uh. <laughs> I think fa- the Fast and Furious movies have been pretty at a certain yes. point. They have, Tokyo they, they've, Drift was pretty. Tokyo Drift, I think five and six had oh. moments of like well-orchestrated carnage. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Which is which is something now it just feels uh, globbed together. Almost like a director came in mid-filming and had to cobble <laughs> together the rest of the movie with a cavalcade of stars who don't seem like they were ever on the same continent <laughs> with each other. Which is oh, quite remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> For a movie um, about family, Vin Diesel sure spends a lot of time alone in a car. Um, oh, it's like um, Locke again then. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's yes, just, there's the pitch. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to remake Locke, but throw $400 million at it and see what sticks. Uh, yeah. Uh, w- welcome, everybody. Uh, we have a great show for you today. We're going to catch up on uh, a couple of the uh, uh, summer movies that have come out the last couple of weeks, uh, including Fast X. Darren, you saw Little Mermaid, correct? I did indeed for my sins. You did. You did. Uh, which apparently is just doing gangbusters at the box office this weekend, which kind of surprised me. Like I thought, I, I guess maybe I didn't. Uh, I should have realized that that late 80s, early 90s feels like a nostalgic sweet spot for the Disney era. Like everything from Little Mermaid, uh, Beating the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, like that was sort of um, prime territory right there, I think, for all age groups. And this is the last one of the set. Like they can't, I don't think they can do Notre Dame. And then you get oh, into gosh. like thorny water. You can't. You can't do Pocahontas. Pocahontas, Good like God, almost. No. You Terrence barely Malik got already did it. Terrence Malick already did it. You barely got away with Pocahontas the first time, so you can't yeah. do it again. And then you're into what Hercules and Tarzan, and I don't know that you can do. I think Little Mermaid is the last. Feels like the last gasp of that golden '90s era kind of nostalgia. And, and this is the thing I was talking about on the radio to the hosts about the movie, and it's like. Who are the target audiences for these quote unquote live action adaptations? Because most of them aren't even really live action. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the kids. I think it's the adults who were kids in the 90s and are like now ashamed to put on animated cartoons, but want to feel that rush of nostalgia. Like you say you're surprised at how much this movie earned this weekend. I will say without getting into what I thought about it, and we will talk about that later, Uh sitting in the cinema... There's a moment where Ariel is singing part of your world. And she does that thing where if you know the song where she goes, what's it called? Um, And then answers her own question. But like there was a woman two seats over from me 
who was just like subconsciously doing the call and response to Ariel without even realizing she was doing it was like a Manchurian candidate. I was thing. just about to say that yeah. the Disney <laughs> Disney secretly Manchurian candidated us yeah. uh, uh, earlier on in the day. So yeah. early on in the in the eighties. So there you go. That's it. Like, um, that, that's that's the trigger. Like, cause I know I have like friends who live in the middle of nowhere in Ireland. We live surrounded by farms with like cows and nary a building in sight from their backyard. And they'll be like, so tell me, is it worth going to see Beauty and the Beast? Like that was the one question they had when I saw them in 2019, two years after Beauty and the Beast released. There's just that strong nostalgic pull of this thing got its hooks into me young and now I have to go see it, you know? Frost, you like you you literally host a co-host a stream for us called called Childhood Classics. So you 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 have a vessel for looking back at childhood nostalgia. Do you have any for those uh, for that era of Disney movies? I know you're a little bit younger than than Darren and I. Yeah, I mean, like absolutely, because that's before my time would be like your Snow Whites. But this is yeah. right when I'm I'm gaining sentience, becoming a yeah. knowing person of a human being. Uh, not just that; it's very it's very like culturally reminiscent of that 90s um like latino immigration movement which is a reason of why i think the mario movie was so successful and no other one will be is because if you can hit like the 90s not not just the 90s but also 90s latinos you're gonna hit a bit of the international market uh, like down south and you're also mm-hmm. gonna hit um, a big part of america's own identity because up to up to right now uh, at least 20 percent of america is latino but like this, this has a lot of cultural nostalgia. My mom wants to watch this more than I do. Like, granted, I was go. I was bullied because of the crab. You know, sharing a name with him, you can't be introduced <laughs> as Sebastian without oh the crab. And yeah, now then that's when I again felt older when uh, I used to get ahead of people. And it's like his name is Sebastian. Yeah, I like the crab. What crab? Thanks. You're not that young. I'm not that old. <laughs> Death isn't coming for me. I'll be alive forever. Yeah. Uh, is is Sebastian? Is that Davy Diggs in the? Yes. Yeah. From, yes. Um, and he what was it? Hamilton. Well, yeah, was from Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. And possibly our Ben Grimm, according to some yeah. scuttlebutt, like, might be our thing. Who is also the supporting character in this movie, voiced by Aquafina. Um, but the thing with David Diggs' performance is really good, which makes it all the more monstrous that he's playing like a verisimilitudious crab that mm. looks like an actual beach crab and therefore is incapable of like representing anthropomorphized human emotions, making it really uncanny and really creepy when you can yeah. hear Diggs giving like socks in the vocal booth and you're just looking at this thing that looks like something you would order in a seafood restaurant it's very they disconcerting would pull, they would pull yeah. right out of the aquarium <laughs> yeah. tom hardy tom hardy's venom would just jump into the aquarium while, yeah. while going hog wild yeah. um so yeah uh, yeah t- today's show we're gonna be talking about little mermaid <laughs> fast x uh and we'll be we'll be talking about the uh finales of of a couple big shows uh, series finales that were this weekend including uh, succession and barry and sort of our our thoughts on uh finales uh finales as a whole what it takes to stick the landing and, and why these two um, really, really felt like they did it. But um, let's just let's just continue with continue with Little Mermaid. Um, uh, Indie Bum. Been a member for 21 months over in uh, YouTube. And thank you so much, everyone, for your as, as, as you guys know, your, your memberships, your patronage, your super chats uh, all fund our, our weird and wacky projects like this. So we really appreciate it. Uh, how long until Disney makes an animated adaptation of the live action adaptations? It, it feels like that is not outside the realm of possibility. 
I think what you're more likely to see in the short term is making sequels to those live action adaptations that are also live action adaptations. Like every time I think, every time I doubt in my head that I'm living in some sort of like computer simulation that has gone completely off the rails, I go, what is Barry Jenkins' next project? <laughs> and it's, it is the prequel to The Lion King, the 2019 version based around Mufasa's childhood. Oh, this yes. Is the- inspired by The Godfather 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Godfather 2 of. CGI lion movies. Um, like this is the reality in which we live, where you win Best Picture, and they're like, "Here's your, here's your project." It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's very strange and sweet. And I don't bemoan anyone. Get, get a paycheck. Like, get some of that yeah. Disney money. Get some, like, oh, start tucking like, away <laughs> some generational wealth. <laughs> like, I don't, but uh, it is, it is sad when it is seemingly more and more like. That is just the monoculture now. Like the monoculture is is are there are these things and these things that you sort of see and then you're like, well, well I guess I, that was t- two hours of air conditioning, which uh, is nice, right? Yeah, that's been two me. hours and fifteen yeah. minutes. Well, two hours. Wait, isn't the original yeah, movie the original like ninety minutes? Ninety minutes. The original movie is like eighty-two minutes, including credits. <sighs> so it's like twice as long. Is and there, the thing is that like. <sighs> Is there a yeah, scene like, well, with like Sebastian Molting or something just to pad out the time in real time? Yeah. 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 Well, like you, the weird thing is watching these movies. It's become a hobby of mine to see what the differences are. And like the the weird thing is the Lion King is the one I can't parse because that is nearly like half an hour longer than the animated film, but it doesn't seem to have anything new in there apart from the Beyonce song. And I'm like, does John Favreau just like start? scenes earlier and end them later is that how he got that extra half hour he comes into scenes like 10 seconds earlier and leaves them 10 seconds later but like the thing is with the little mermaid you a they try and give eric an arc which is kind of weird for a movie that's like this is our big progressive african-american princess movie it's like but make sure the white guy gets something to do (laughs) um and then they also like they they that to to sebastian's point they're also um, add songs because they want them to qualify for the Oscars. So sure. every one of these movies will have an original song. And Lin Manuel Miranda uh, worked on the lyrics for the two new songs, which include a rap song from Aquafina and an I Want song from um, Eric the Prince, which nobody asked for and nobody wants. And then they try and pile in social commentary, which is at once well intentioned, but also doesn't fit the movie that they're making because they're making a movie that is incredibly faithful to the 1989 version of The Little Mermaid, which didn't have any of this stuff in it. So you can't retrofit it without changing the movie, which they refuse to do, which is this weird thing that causes your brain to kind of explode where it's like, wait, are, are, are they just both citing climate change? Probably. Uh, every time <laughs> I, I wonder, like, they're going to run out of nostalgia, right? You can all, The snake can only eat so much before of its own tail before it just disappears. Now you have to find something new. No, they, they just keep digging. You said, do you think this is the last one? You, you don't think, like, the Robin Hood Disney one? You don't think they would oh. try that? Oh, of, I mean, I mean, specifically of the Renaissance. Era. Oh, okay. I mean, specifically, like they're, they're doing like the Snow White's coming with Rachel Ziegler, um, oh. for example. That's that's on the cards at the very least. Yeah, there's we mentioned there's a Lion King sequel coming. I would not be surprised, as you said, like the Robin Hood thing is a challenge because like. Without getting crass on here, one of the big things about the 1970s Disney Robin Hood is that he's kind of hot. Um, and like, I, I don't know that like Disney's CGI department are there yet. Like, I feel like 
you know, on the one hand, Bob Eager's getting these photographs of CGI rendered like Robin Hood, and he has to be in the awkward position of saying not hot or too hot um, before we can greenlight the movie. Let me just say, current biggest game on the planet is Zelda. And uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom introduces the Zonai, who are these... Uh, wait, why did Night... Who's Nightbot fucking putting indie bum nightbot what are you doing where's nick nick Nick, figure out what nightbot's doing (laughs) nightbot's gone sentient sorry to anyone not watching this live but we're currently in chat figuring out what nightbot's doing what is a nightbot i don't know what nightbot is but it's uh, stopping the cheering for hot robin hood so no but the zelda the new zelda game introduces the zonai this this long ago extinct race of people in hylia and let me tell you uh they are very tall and they are very attractive dear men (laughs) and dear women and so i feel like zelda is is getting our our youth ready for like you're allowed to be attracted to these (laughs) to these weird large dear men who look across the bar and they're like hey what, what are you guys up to? You want to have some fun tonight? They've always so. done that, though. But yeah, I, I get the point. For, I mean, there's like it's, it's Zootopia. Didn't Zootopia get its get its whole like? Was uh, it? There's like a sexual awakening around Zootopia, which to me, like, I don't. What is going on? I don't in this know movie? what that is. The the one that I always hear mentioned would be like Anna Kendrick talking about um, Robin Hood, but then I think it was yeah. a Skarsgård saying that it was Nala. <laughs> During the like and the Lion King, the Lion yeah, King, yeah. Where yeah, yeah. Like, why would they the make problem. these characters hot? <laughs> But th- that's the thing with animation. You make them anthropomorphic. They have bigger mouths and bigger eyes and yeah. bigger hips, if we're being frank as well. But it's you can't do that in CGI, at least in photorealistic CGI. So that like that is the hurdle that I think is the bar that like they need to get across for like Robin Hood. Um, that is like the thing. But yeah, I would not be surprised as somebody said in the comments to see them start remaking like, you know, the Fox and the Hound or the Aristocats or whatever, you know. Um, sadly, not using archival Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> oh, you got uh, someone mentioned the Black Cauldron earlier. That'd be an interesting one because that's like a forgotten one. Is it? That could and be I... a Pete's Dragon. Like yeah. Pete's Dragon is the best of these because yeah. Pete's Dragon is a forgotten movie nobody cares about. So they yeah. just gave David Lowry a name and a budget. Do the Black Cauldron like that? Yeah, like, not not like Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> it is. What, what do you think was the idea behind Peter Pan? Just went straight to streaming, and this went to theaters. I think it's the same thing with Pinocchio. I think I think it, it's that generational gap that kind of Seb referenced there. Like oh, I reckon yeah. Snow White is on the bubble. Like that Snow White came first, so she has like cultural relevance. And also, doesn't like Hollywood has this weird hard on for Snow White. Remember the whole Huntsman thing, okay. uh, and remember the whole wasn't that Julia Roberts' Mirror Mirror was her big yeah. comeback as well. That was another Snow White kind of thing. So it's like. Disney and Hollywood really want to make a Snow White movie, but I think that if you're yeah. going to the older ones like Pinocchio, Zemeckis Pinocchio went straight to Disney Plus. Uh, old, like, was it the uh, Lady and the Tramp straight to Disney Plus? Yeah, uh, yeah. Peter Cruella. Pan and Wendy. Well, Cruella was, uh, I guess, Cruella that was, COVID was premium. Production. Yeah, was, oh yeah, was yeah, that, yeah, yeah, different time. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. And it's we, and we're getting even the later ones now because we have uh, Lilo and Stitch coming. We have uh, Moana, which is just like. That movie's what? still new. I'm imagining a Frozen, <laughs> like a live action Frozen was, we'll probably be getting. I'm okay with Moana that, was, though. Okay. Because I've seen The Rock in Hercules, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> give him more of that. Sure, let him be Maui. Just give him the, the Rock cinematic universe of these big, <laughs> dumb caricatures of himself, yeah. It, it is The Rock's best movie, question? Hercules? I think so. No, no. Oh, oh interesting. I think so. I, I was going to say Moana. Oh, Oh, as, as arguably, as, uh, goes. arguably so. Yeah. 
Second to Southland Tales. Second to Gridiron Gang and Tooth Fairy. Right there. He does sports <laughs> pretty good, man. He does sports good. <laughs> uh, what's the deal with The Rock? What's, what's The Rock's legacy going to be? Um, Handy ass. <laughs> like the, the Rock's... The Rock's, we'll talk about when we talk about Fast X, but like The Rock's legacy will be like being Kim Novak to uh, Vin Diesel's uh, Jimmy Stewart. Like that's. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, let's yeah. get it. I don't think, I, I mean, I didn't see Little Mermaid, so I don't, unless okay. you have any more Little Mermaid thoughts, we can, we can move to Fast X. No, it's, it's not good. It's too long. And like adapting this directly into live action completely undermines what made it work in animation. That's it. That's, that's my take. $100 million in the US opening weekend. Granted, it was a I holiday know. weekend, which I think is a, that's a cheat. You can't be bragging and, about your weekend and then say, like, yeah, the Mario opening weekend, which was still was <laughs> Wednesday to Monday. And I'm like, what are we doing, Mario? Yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, I, you've thought, you've heard about the um, Spectre. The Spectre UK opening weekend is one of my favorite things ever, where they opened it on the Tuesday before a bank holiday weekend. So it technically had, like, a seven or eight day opening weekend, depending on how you count it, which is incredible. I hate Fucking it. Bank holiday. I, I, I hate, the, I hate the balls on that movie. Like, like. <laughs> Technicalities have been the ruin of everything. Ever since Black Friday went to being Black Weekend to Black Week to all Thanksgiving, <laughs> you just get 10% off something that's only 30% off normally. It's like, uh. We need to use this. We need to use this stream uh, just as like a, a pedestal for us to just air our grievances about names of things. I mean, we did. We did. What was what it? What really weeks grinds ago? my gears? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we did like two weeks ago with the whole su- summer su- cinema summers here. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. Spring. Yeah, people are like, Mario's kicking things off. I'm like, sir, it is April 5th. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, so Fast X, which uh, definitely I would say was was a summer movie. Um, and it is uh, the, the part one of a possible trilogy of a finale of the current phase of the Fast and Furious cinematic universe. Before, and I, I, I want to stress this, before Vin Diesel spins Dom Toretto, who is the protagonist of this franchise, out into his own separate sub-franchise, mm-hmm. at which point I'm sitting there in, like, the Universal Studio lot just going, so, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, that just, isn't that just more? Yeah, um, isn't that just, like, you're making a 14th Fast and Furious movie? Isn't that just what you're yeah. saying? Uh, sometimes I always wonder, I'm like, with a franchise like this, <laughs> Is is it getting worse or am I getting sick of it? And I am relatively positive it's getting worse, right? I think the thing is that like you, you can tell it's not it's not that you're getting sick of it because like the canonical best Fast and Furious movies are the fifth and sixth, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that generally people agree on. And it's like if you were ge- if you were just getting sick of it, you wouldn't be like, oh, I, it's back. Um, if but the fact that they are getting worse, I think it is very much, it is a bell curve. Yeah. Um, I think this may be better than F9, um, the Fast Saga, which is yeah. the name of the ninth movie in the film franchise, <laughs> but I don't think it's good. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I sort of goofed about some of the uh, uh, problems I had with the movie, but it is, it is wild how expensive this movie was for something that not only doesn't look good but every actor seems very bored in except for vin diesel who's forced to deliver these very dramatic (laughs) scenes and vin diesel 
while I like some of his movies, is incapable of that. Is an actor with 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 one. He's got one temperature, and it's like this isn't an oven. You can't you can't change the temperature. This is just what what you're being cooked at. You're setting. Yeah, and and uh, he that temperature is not uh, kitchen safe for for cooking a, a dramatic meal. So. Um, Counterpoint. I liked Momoa. I thought Momoa was good. Oh, I did. Yeah, I like. I like that Momoa just got to. I, he needs to be allowed. Speaking of cooking, he just needs to be allowed to cook in movies. Put him in a yeah. movie and just let him let him go wild because that guy is 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 incredibly charismatic. The best special effect in Fast X, a movie which, as we pointed out, cost what three hundred and fifty million dollars, is quick cutting to Jason Momoa riding a motorbike and mouthing the word "boom." That is the best special effect in the movie. Yeah, man. Let him be Robin Hood. He could be, <laughs> yeah. he could be a hot fox. <laughs> he could absolutely be a hot fox. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did uh, Darren? What were your, your your video review is uh, up on the site? I'll link it. I'll link it to folks who want to watch that. That was a that was a Casey edit. Um, sort of. What are you? Yes. I guess distilling that into a, into a brief summary. What did you think of the movie? Numbing, uh, disorienting, and a movie that doesn't really make sense if you are not at all following the weird psychodrama unfolding behind the scenes. I think Marty kind of alluded to it. It's a movie where it feels like no more than two actors were on set together at a given time and not just due to COVID like restrictions. Yeah. Obviously, part of that is the replacement of Justin Lin with Louis Leterrier. Leterrier's style is famously frantic cutting and editing. He doesn't like to do doubles. He does single shots. Um, he doesn't like to have actors in the same frame. It makes it very hard to get any sense of spatial awareness in any of his movies whatsoever and it's particularly a problem if you're making a movie with car chases because if you're chasing cars you'd like to know where they are in relationship to one another at a given moment it also suffers in large part because it is very closely tied to as we mentioned fast five the canonical best fast and furious movie and it opens by like replaying clips from justin lynn's fast five which reminds you how good that movie was and mm -hmm. then it goes straight into doing what is effectively a lame cover version of of the best scene from the climax of that movie, which just underscores how not great Louis Leterrier is at doing yeah. the stuff you just saw uh, Justin Lin doing. Um, I do think it is arguably more interesting as this weird psycho, sometimes raised eyebrow sexual drama uh, of like the behind the scenes tensions between like The Rock and Vin Diesel, where it really seems like the big narrative of these movies is vin diesel's awkward relationship with the rock because these are vin diesel's movies but the rock came in in fast five as quote-unquote franchise viagra gave uh -huh. them a shot in the arm turned them into the mega blockbuster franchise they are today and so kind of almost became the star of the franchise which is an issue to diesel because he was the star of the franchise so you have the push and pull the famous story about eight where like obviously that's the candy ass feud but where diesel and rock never filmed any scenes together which leads to a frankly hilarious moment where the two of them are negotiating to one another over radios inside monster trucks staring at each other down a street because that was the only way you could get that scene to work. Um, and obviously The Rock goes off and he does his spin-off movie and all that sort of stuff. But what's interesting is like you can kind of see Diesel... Diesel doesn't just want The Rock out of the franchise. Diesel wants to like assert dominance over The Rock and be seen to assert dominance. So as soon as The Rock leaves, he starts casting these kind of muscle men. And this is what I said when I kind of like compared The Rock to like Kim Novak to Jimmy Stewart, where like in F9, the fast saga, he cast John Cena, another former wrestler who's a very uh -huh. big muscle man. He casts him in the role, one of the most unbelievable twists in a movie where cars have been to space. 
as his own little brother, he cast John Cena. Um, <laughs> um, and like pointedly, all of The Rock's like Facebook or Instagram messages about The Rock, all of Vin Diesel's messages about The Rock refer to him as quote unquote little brother, which makes the subtext of this very clear. Yeah. And the entire point of F9 is that like Dom humbles his younger brother and brings him back into the family as a subordinate to him. Yeah. And then you get to Fast X where The Rock is ostensibly not part of it. I don't know if we're going to talk about spoilers, but let's just say he wasn't a part of it during production. And not to be beaten, Vin Diesel decides to do two things. He brings in two separate muscle men who serve as stand-ins for The Rock. He brings in, obviously, Jason uh, Jason Momoa, who's this big, muscly, burly guy in the style of The Rock. But he also gives us Alan Richston, who is playing a character who is functionally the same character as Hobbs. He is a, an investigator who's hired to track down the fast crew, chases them to Rio de Janeiro, and eventually maybe forges a delicate alliance to them, where it often feels like the central point of this is Vin Diesel saying, I don't need The Rock. I can get my own army of bulky, like, ex-wrestler types and yeah. make them subservient to me, uh, which is kind of just an interesting thing to watch play out over the course of the movie because it explains so much of like why certain characters appear in shots together, why certain actors don't appear on the same set, why it looks like the only actor that Vin Diesel bothered to show up to film with was Helen Mirren in a single scene which has more sexual chemistry than the rest of the franchise combined. It's something to behold. It is uh, not good, but it's something, it's something to, behold. to behold. It's funny when you bring up the, like, I've got my own big muscle men. It almost, I didn't I didn't notice the exact comparison with Jason Momoa and The Rock, where it's like, yeah, he's tall, he's tan, he's Hawaiian as well, <laughs> and he has hair, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this guy has hair, yeah. <laughs> Um, and again, and he's again tied back to Fast Five. Like the central premise of Fast X, again, we're not going to jump into spoilers. Uh, people who've seen the movie will know that there's a huge asterisk next to this. But the central premise of Fast X is that like Jason Momoa is the son of the villain from Fast Five and he wants to avenge himself on Dom Toretto for killing his father. However, anybody who has actually watched Fast Five will know that it was actually The Rock who killed uh, Jason Momoa's father. Mm -hmm. Something the movie never addresses until it's you fine. get to the post. Yeah, like just just in terms of like, no, there never was a Rock. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> the Rock's been dead 115 years. <laughs> who did I watch at Hobbs and Shaw then? <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a spoiler, I guess, minor spoiler warning. I feel like if you're a fast, if you care about Fast and Furious spoilers, you've probably already seen it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, the post credit scene, apparently, uh, apparently Vin Diesel and The Rock have, have, nah, I wouldn't say squash their beef, but come to some sort of an amicable uh, agreement to where, uh, The Rock Where will they will be, never have to be on set together, it seems like. Never. <laughs> Uh, but The Rock will be uh, returning, assumedly, for the next movie, and if this is a trilogy for the next two. Um, in uh, and I don't know. I, I genuinely think. Do you think this would have happened? Were Black Adam a smash hit, and they kept going forward, and there was a Black Adam versus Superman movie greenlit? No, I don't think this would be a like an issue if even I don't think this would be happening if even Hobbs and Shaw had succeeded. Yeah. Like I think if like if The Rock's separate mini franchise was its own thing. I don't think he would be coming back if Black Adam had succeeded. I don't think he'd be coming back. I think yeah. this is very much like a negotiating from a place of weakness. Like The Rock has said, this was shot, rumor has it, about a week and a half before the movie premiered. 
And it's kind of amazing when you're watching it because, like, they obviously got, like, Jason Momoa to do voiceover. And it's like, yeah, by the way, I've been targeting Dom, but you remember who really pulled the trigger and killed my father. Um, and then it shows you the flashback footage of The Rock. And it's like, that was really the only edit you could make to the movie acknowledging that detail or fact. It's, yeah, it's it's very, in again, the psychodrama behind the scenes is arguably much more interesting than, like, anything in the movie itself narratively and thematically it's uh it's this this franchise is kind of baffling because as it goes on it is uh it is it is a, a, a an avalanche that is picking up steam of high profile hollywood actors and it is drawing more and more people that you're like how the fuck did they get Helen Mirren and, and Charlize Theron and now Brie Larson and Jason Momoa? And it's just this like this 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 perpetual motion drawing people into the orbit. And I don't know why. I mean, the paycheck, I'm assuming, is why. Yeah. And like, I don't know, maybe they're fun to film. They don't seem fun to film. Certain movies, like the Ocean's Eleven movies, you're like, that looks really fun to film. Yeah. I understand why anyone would want to be in these movies. Those look fun. This, I'm like, this doesn't seem fun at all. I imagine that it's because Louis Leterrier will shoot you out in about three days. Like, that That. That honestly, when you're watching the movie, looks like it feels like... Alan Richson looks like he shot about three days of footage in this movie in front of a green screen. And that's um, uh, that's the guy who played Reacher in the, the Reacher TV show, it, right? The big, yeah. big, just like yeah, the big real, real big hunk of meat. That's not yeah, Tom Cruise? Like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and also Louis Leterrier uh, uh, is, is known for, he directed the uh, Ed Norton Incredible Hulk and uh, the really bad Clash of the Titans remake and uh, the, the Magician. Now you see me. Yeah, and the I magician, the, the magician movie. Uh, but, and I think the the reason why Leterrier was chosen to direct this has nothing to do with like his directorial style. It has everything to do with you mentioned the Incredible Hulk, where his job on the Incredible Hulk was to serve as message boy between like Edward Norton and Marvel Studios. Like yeah. his job was to get the two of them in the same room together and like to get them to agree to do press together. It really seems like when Justin Lin, as you mentioned, Lin shot like a week of this and then yeah. was like. I believe the quote in The Hollywood Reporter, and it's a damning quote, is life is too short, uh, was his response after working a week on this movie with Vin Diesel. And it he's worked with like him before. <laughs> Justin Lin yeah. did several past movies, so it's not like it came as a surprise to him, but just something. I don't know if Vin Diesel's getting more sort of crotchety and demanding as, as he grows, as he gets old. I almost said grows up. <laughs> I feel like Vin Diesel. <laughs> As as he's slowly becoming an iron giant. <laughs> there, there you go. I don't know. Do you think maybe they're trying to have their own Sly versus Arnold kind of thing again? As much as Arnold is a star in his own right, and same for Sylvester Stallone, they kind of like that the sort of off-screen banter, that sort of like they hate each other kind of thing is yeah. what powered it. Maybe they almost know like but neither of us is, is bigger than the other without each other. This fight is is as much of us as anything else. But like the, the wonderful, like the irony is that like the modern movie landscape doesn't support that. Like this is this is part of what makes it like such a compelling, like weird sitcom premise where like obviously Arnold and Stallone were like intellectual properties of themselves. You yeah. go and see Dread because it has Stallone in it, not because it's a Judge Dredd movie, for mm -hmm. example. You go and see Conan because it has Schwarzenegger in it, not because it's a Conan movie. Whereas like 
modern Hollywood is so IP based that like the rock can't really survive outside of the Fast and Furious franchise. So mm -hmm. he has no choice but to come home. And again, arguably the same with Vin Diesel, who has tried. They tried to launch the Triple X franchise. He's tried to launch the Riddick franchise. He can't escape either. So the two of them are like kind of like chained to one another, which yeah. is what makes it so compelling, where it's like it's like, as you said, the Stallone and Schwarzenegger feud. But if they could only make movies together, like. <laughs> <laughs> what do they how, uh, is there turning the ship around like is there going back to the good old days of of fast five or is this just gonna be diminishing returns until they uh, inevitably reboot it back into a street racing movie yeah, i though. cannot Can you? I can't imagine like getting the counts getting like the counseling session together. Can you imagine sitting in on that counseling session with like Vin Diesel and The Rock and also uh is it Tyrese Gibson's there as yeah, well? Yeah. Um because he's also got a feud with The Rock apparently. Which is really funny because I'm like, all right, Tyrese, you've done <laughs> yeah. you haven't earned this at all. <laughs> Although it was really funny to hear Tyrese was in Morbius and yeah, to hear yeah. he when he finally watched Morbius, how honest he was. <laughs> And he's like, listen, I'll do anything for a paycheck, but I'm always going to be honest with what I think of a movie. And he did not like Morbius, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I miss Morbius, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I'm, I miss Paul Walker. I was wondering if they'd ever get, like, his brother to uh, to do something else. Like, oh, it's his younger I think they've had his brother, fun, his fun brother has, uh, I think he sat in for because they they sort of see him and the other yeah. car Thanks. when yeah, they go yeah. off yeah yeah um it does kind of feel like paul walker was the like heart and like because yeah. paul walker was, it was like actually a, a pretty that. good actor um like i really i don't know if you guys ever saw that movie running scared like i thought he was fucking great in that like i really like that movie uh, and seemingly very low on ego as well like, re yeah. like relatively speak like it seemed like and that's the thing about like the pre like fast eight or fate of the furious like fast and furious movies is brian is the guy who like seems like he will be in scenes with whoever needs to be in scenes yeah. with him he doesn't seem like he demands to be like he doesn't have that crazy thing the rock statham and diesel have that points based system for like on-screen fights yeah so that i none need to win the number of punches yeah <laughs> yeah um, so, like, I think that when you lost Brian, sorry, when you lost um, Paul Walker, like, you lost the heart of the franchise. I do love, by the way, that, like, canonically, because they haven't written Brian out properly, he's just staying home at the kit with the kids while all this stuff is happening. That's, like, that's Brian's job now. Brian's just the stay-at-home Because if you watch those first, those first seven movies, you'd be like, yes, he's definitely the kind of guy who would do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, his, when the rest of his family is in trouble across the world, he definitely wouldn't come to help. Um, yeah. If you said that you missed when it was like colorful and whatnot, I I think colorful and Fast and Furious. I think Paul Walker, even yeah, Need Need, need for Speed, Fast and Furious too, too, oh, too, too Fast too and Furious, speed, Furious too yeah. speedy to quit. That was uh, that was a, a more a way more colorful beginning than anything else. Yeah, I think I feel like they lost some color when uh, when he passed away. Unfortunately, yeah. So can you go back to that? Probably yeah. not, because even if you tried, right? Even if after all this is over and he has his main character spinoff of like, yeah, I want to go back to just a garage. There's no Brian, right? There's just there's just nothing there. And he's not going to give himself a partner like Brian. Um, that's yeah. Thing. 
Also, we should note, by the way, that there is a TV show, Fast and Furious Spy Racers, on Netflix, which is an animated, computer-generated streaming spin-off of the show, starring Vin Diesel. So I don't think we can ever go back to the modest days of, like, stealing DVDs out of the back of a truck. Yeah. I did, I'm going to be honest, I did not know that existed. <laughs> I did, genuinely did not know that existed. Um, what if they pair it back? And uh, the movie takes place like in the 60s. And what? it's that like American graffiti, uh, 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 like sort of like d- drag racing. Like, oh, like <laughs> can, I, can I tell you the problem with that pitch? Nothing. Racism? <laughs> no notes. <laughs> you, yeah, you pitch that and Vin Diesel's like, so the car's time travel now? Uh, yeah. Like, how am I in this movie? Yeah. That's, that's the question. Like, can I play my own father? <laughs> yeah. Just put like a little John, mustache on him. They would. John John bro. Cena plays my my uncle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all all in the game, I do agree. The Jumanji might be Jumanji one and two might be the best like things the Rock has done. <laughs> like like they're not amazing. Did you say but, one and two? What? Yeah, there's two, uh, two modern well Jumanji's. In the jungle. No. He's in two and three. It's they're two, two and three. And yes, three. But, yeah, I was just like, yeah. oh, here. I don't count them as like. Listen here. Those aren't sequels to the Robin Williams. I, there's, there's a, as much as I love The Rock, there's a part of me that's as... like, I won't forget that you took these movies from my actors. <laughs> Robin Williams and Brendan Fraser and Journey to the Center of the Earth. I was like, what are you doing? I don't think Robin Williams was, was doing anything with the franchise. Like, I, um. Brendan Fraser, yeah, I could see him following up the whale and Killers of the Flower Moon with with more <laughs> Journey to the Center of the Earth. Fortunate. I love that. That's like they have like two envelopes. One is the Mummy, and the other one is Journey to the Center of the Earth. And Fraser's like, I know which one I'm going for. I can't believe how they how they screwed the pooch with the Mummy. I saw a tweet recently, which was like. I was like, this is exactly what they should have done. When The Mummy was a big hit, the way they should have introduced the Universal Monster Cinematic Universe was just to have Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz fight a different monster every movie. Just have the sequel to The Mummy be called The Frankenstein or The Dracula. <laughs> just have them go in to fight them. But they kind and of in The that. Dracula, you can institute, like you can bring in Van Helsing there, and then if you want to spin him off, but like like anchor it on those two because they yeah. were the beating heart of those movies. They kind of tried that with the third one, didn't they? It's The Mummy, but it's like it's not even a mummy. It's, it's, chi- like, it's Terracotta it's Army, chi- isn't it? Yeah. Well, and they kind of with the second one, they tried to introduce the Scorpion King, which That's gets fair. us back to The Rock. Oh, God, what, what's happening? <laughs> it all comes down to the bed. The Rock tried to steal two of Brendan Fraser's franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Gripping King was not successful. No. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's fine. Um, who do you think? Uh, who who do you have money on making an appearance in Fast Ten or in Fast Eleven? Who has I not been in any of the Fast movies yet? Big muscular, air flying. Uh, who do we have? Who do we have? Who's hot right Dave now? Dave Batista has turned down a role in it, so he's no, no, out. He him. would be. I mean, Dave, yeah. Dave Batista. Is too good. <laughs> yeah. Dave Batista is too good for these movies. Like Dave Batista, the sky is the limit on his acting <laughs> career. It seems like he has his money. Now I'm hoping, like, just keep working with fucking incredible directors. I'm gonna throw uh, out Adam Adam Driver, if only not because of his surname, but also because he opened the starting flag at the Indy 500. So I sense there might be, and also he's starring in the Ferrari movie coming up as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why he did that, right? Another, another yeah. One. So- yeah, yeah. just regular Ferrari. One. This is a prequel to the <laughs> Ford versus, versus Ferrari. Ferrari. Okay. Yeah, they're doing a separate. They're separate cinematic universes. They're doing Ford next. 
Um, see, I was starting to yeah, watch that movie. Be like, this is pretty anti-Semitic. See, I was, I was starting. <laughs> I was starting to believe that because I was like, Matt Damon in Air, Matt Damon in Ford v Ferrari. They're gonna have the Matt Damon in manic universe where he's just a, a businessman every freaking time. Uh, I, my money's on a Hemsworth. Big. Like a, a top Hemsworth or a bottom Hemsworth? Uh, oh, I, I didn't mean that in a weird way. I meant yeah, like a. I meant in Thor or one of the other ones. <laughs> I think they want Chris. I think they'll settle for Liam. Poor Luke. <laughs> Maybe if womp, he, if, womp. He can, if he can pack it on, like I said, it's just all about beauty and motion. That's why Jason Momoa is there. He's hot when there's motion. Who who else could you bring in like that? Yeah. Uh, no, no big, strong towers of meat that look imposing like mountains. Like you need, you need a, a force, some sort well, of a meteor. But they also they they get big towers of meat, and they uh, and they draw older actors. They'll get a Kurt Russell or a Helen Mirren. Rita Moreno, yeah, Rita, Rita Moreno. Moreno. There is there is a non-zero chance Harrison Ford is in the next movie. Yeah, Robert man, Redford. Man. Robert Redford yeah. is possible, and he's retired. Yeah. yeah. Like, Paul Newman's he like possible, and he's dead. <laughs> um, so hopefully so Robert Redford last... and Adam Driver. That's my pick. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Robert De Niro and Adam Sandler. As long as it's a Robert and an Adam, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Just bring the big two. It's fine. Um, okay, hopefully that is the, the last left to talk about the Fast and Furious for a while. <laughs> I mean, it takes them two years. But I haven't talked about how it's about the death of God in modern. Oh America. yeah, I did. We did no, want to no, give no, you. No, 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 I no, want to no, give you no, a little no. bit of space to talk about how it's the death of God. I'd no, like, it's not. Like okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> if you insist. So I'm See, watching. This is, the Darren, um, this is Darren's theory corner. We <laughs> yeah, had this, we had it with uh, the the Oppenheimer trailer, and now we have it with this. We had it with Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yeah. Like so, there's a certain percentage of certainty, like where Guardians is ninety percent, Oppenheimer is thirty percent, and this is ten percent. But it's like. I'm watching this and I'm getting a, a headache. I'm feeling concussed. I'm feeling like I'm being beaten in submission. I'm trying to find an angle into this. And I'm like, wait, is this a movie about the death of God in modern America? And here is my reason why, right? So here's the pitch. You got to look at how the movie opens. What's the movie's first big set piece? The villain, whose name is Dante, the Renaissance poet, famous for writing The Inferno and obviously the Divine Comedy, launches Tune in an attack. Casey and Jesse play Dante's Inferno every Wednesday Whoa. evening at uh, 9 p.m., 8 p.m., some, some p.m. Sorry. Perfect. Uh, like synergy. I like it. Yeah. Um, um, the recap presents. Um, yeah. Should be the, but like, he, like how Dante's introduced, he's planning to blow up the Vatican, mm-hmm. which is an offense to like Dom, who's defined. He has this family around him. He has like throughout the movie, the crucifix is an important mm-hmm. symbol. In fact, it becomes something of a crucible because various characters show their faith to Dom by presenting the crucifix to one another. Very famously, obviously, Brie Larson, when she's talking to um, Michelle Rodriguez, she shows the crucifix to show that she is a believer. Throughout the movie, we talk about the Fast and Furious movies being about quote-unquote family. More often, this time around, the characters look at one another and say, I have faith, as a way of communicating to one another that they share a similar belief system. Again, the Last Supper, the dining at the barbecue, all that sort of thing. But when you get down to it, Like, what is the motivation of Dante, the villain of this movie? What is his backstory and defining trauma? He technically died for two minutes at the climax of Fast Five. It's revealed while he was underwater, his heart stopped and he was dead for two minutes. And what did he see? He saw nothing. Just blackness, darkness, nothing beyond the mortal world. 
then he's brought back to reality and he rages he rages against the world he rages against the vatican and he rages against dom and the faith that dom has in his family so that is my read of this movie as a metaphor for dom having to confront godless america um and i am like 10 percent sure i may also just have had a concussion from the yeah, sound so anything to keep your sanity you know while you're <laughs> yeah. watching this because you do be have, honest you do have to make it to the end there <laughs> so <laughs> your your take on fast and furious way better than fast set way better than fast x that's just so. too much credit to him yeah like the way with stranger things i get into some crazy dungeons and dragons type beats and it's like no they're not that deep they just license them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I don't think this was intentional in any way, shape, or form. But, but it's if, just <laughs> if you send it in to Vin Diesel, I'm sure he'll go. Finally, now someone who gets me. You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, think, exactly. I think he'd be very receptive to the idea. Yeah. I, I am the great philosopher of our times. Oh. <laughs> As you and and then all of a sudden you have a cameo role in Fast Eleven. <laughs> I'm playing the Pope. It turns out <laughs> who Dom saves. Um, <laughs> Listen, I would be in theaters for that. That would be wonderful. Uh, Andrew Hickenbottom with a two-pound dono. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, have any of you guys seen FUBAR yet? Bit meh, I thought. FUBAR is the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Netflix show. Speaking of things that just appear on Netflix and I have no idea they exist, I'm like, seems like there should be a bigger deal about an Arnold Schwarzenegger show on Netflix, but here we are. Uh, have any of you guys got a chance to watch it? I did. It's not great. Um, it's really odd because it feels like it should be a True Lies TV show, except there is a True Lies TV show and it's not this TV show. Yeah. Um, it's very odd because it feels like it's like a 90s CBS procedural, but it's starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would never be in a CBS 90s procedural. Um, it's not great. It, it, it kind of feels like the thing my dad would stick on if he wanted to fall asleep to it and would maybe like it would serve that purpose. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's one of those, like, this meeting should have been an email, this eight-part TV show should have been a 90-minute movie type deals, uh, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I haven't uh, I, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Frost, is that, is that something up your alley? It's on my list. I think somebody mentioned it Saturday while we were streaming or something. I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't real, right? Like, you're, you're joking. Even even the, the poster <laughs> of it, I think it's Arnold getting his coffee Wait, he's holding shot. the mug. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, that's Photoshop. That can't be real. Yeah, this seems like a poster <laughs> that would be in the background of, like, uh, a TV show of like Barry when the you're last, walking the last through. action hero. It's yeah. a poster from the last yeah, action yeah, no. hero. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's, good. it's like this isn't real. This is AI generated, and now the AI are marketing it as well. Uh, oh. But no, it, it's uh-huh. on, it's on my list among all the other things I have to catch up on. But it's there. There, there, there is an incredible scene in the first episode where like Schwarzenegger meets his contact in the middle of a field, and it's very obviously shot on green screen. And it's one of the most like brain breaking scenes imaginable because it's like you couldn't drive Arnold Schwarzenegger like to 20 minutes field? to a field. Yes. Oh. And this is a field. I imagine the COVID protocols are pretty easy in a field. Uh, yeah. 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 You've got to so. think of ragweed, summer allergies, you know. Like, yeah, maybe Arnie's got the allergies. He's, he's, uh, he's, yeah. The Benadryl <laughs> oh, yeah. makes him sleepy, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> the Benadryl makes him sleepy. <laughs> uh, all right, so that was that was our check in with uh, with the big summer movies. We'll have uh, we'll have obviously more discussion on summer movies. Uh, well, next week will be uh, we can talk about Across the Spider Verse, which is very exciting. Um, I like that the, you make it sound like a crime watch. It's like the summer movie season continues unabated. Will nobody stop the The boogeyman is still out. We he cannot be caught. 
Uh, the, the beasts are rising. We repeat, the beasts are rising. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but uh, with that, we can uh, we can pivot over to our uh, uh, our main topic, which is moving away from from uh, movies to to television and specifically uh, the, the big finales this weekend. Um, the, the, the two that stick out in my mind, the two that I watched, uh, the s- series finale of Barry and the series finale of Succession, uh, both of which bowing out after four uh respective seasons and i don't we'll, we'll, we'll start this conversation on with no spoilers i think eventually we'll have to go into some spoilers because there's although these shows feel like they're less about like these aren't what about actually like, happens the yeah. mystery this isn't about yeah, no, like no, no. oh we found out what was at the center of the island yeah, no it feels like a, it's like trying to spoil a roller coaster by describing you know oh, that, and then there was a big loop <laughs> oh man and then I, you go to the dark you so don't know nauseous. where you are yeah, like, yeah. i mean the final shot of succession was logan royal roy turning to the camera and going i am the succession and drinking his coffee and then the credits start <laughs> he, just, he just sits up at his mausoleum <laughs> it's succession time <laughs> it's succession time yeah um right off the bat i thought both were um were absolutely phenomenal like what what incredible we talked uh, a couple months ago when we talked about how um it was cool to see these and uh, these two and uh ted lasso sort of being able to go out on their own two feet and being able to choose when they make their exit uh i don't have a lot of nice things to say about the season of ted lasso and the finale is is this week and we'll see it's tomorrow uh, isn't it oh, or God. today if you're in the states know fucking whatever (laughs) i'm just gonna watch it to be able to take it off my list and be like it's done my watch has ended i I love how like he went over the course of three weeks from it's amazing that it's ending on its own terms to i don't care that it's ending on i'm like just please just please did that with andor too Um, (laughs) it's just like uh, i can't wait for this season and i was like okay i'll catch up see how it goes and every step you take i want to not be watching you (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah succession and uh uh, and and Barry were both absolutely remarkable, and uh, I, I think almost uh, I don't want to say brave, but just so sticking to their artistic guns in ending on a thesis statement of what this show was about. And if you weren't happy with it, maybe you didn't get the show. Like, which isn't something I don't think that's necessarily always fair, but like. This was the ending that the the Roy kids deserved to get, right? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with uh, so like Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. I think they were at the Canes Film Festival showing yeah. off uh, Fight Club, and there was a there was a lady in front of them that was audibly disgusted. And Ed and Brad Pitt were like, "This isn't for you," like, you know. So, <laughs> so in that sense of like, if you didn't like it, you didn't get it. I, I'm more so in that way of like, if you didn't like it, I don't really care. I made it for me. Kind of way. yeah, that, that's, that's more I'll agree to, just because I don't want to come off pretentious and like oh you just don't understand it. Sure. I think I understand it. I still don't like the show. These are the most insufferable <laughs> people I have ever met. Uh, I can still be like that was a great scene. What a great time there. I am tired of seeing the McCulkin brother doing this. And uh, yeah, no, uh, the McCulkin. Was it Kieran? I guess it's just a regular McCulkin. Added a mu. It's a franchise. Yeah, it's a yeah. franchise. I've been, to, I've been to too many McDonald's, man. Everything's just yeah, not a not a Culkin. He's a McCulkin. He's a McCulkin now. That was the noise that Greedo made when he uh, <laughs> when he tried to shoot on. Uh, Darren, what did you what did you think? I guess we'll start with the Succession. 
I mean, I, I think both endings were spectacular and kind of incredible. And as you said, kind of perfectly suited, I think, to the shows that they were. Um, I, I, you know, I get Succession not being everybody's cup of tea. I get Barry most certainly not being everybody's yeah. cup of tea. Especially it's what kinda, Barry evolved into. Yeah, That's it, exactly. Like, I have a friend who watches Barry and they're like, remember when this used to be a comedy? And it is still very funny. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. the sequence with, like, Fred Armisen and, like, um, Guillermo del Toro earlier in the season is it's one so of the good. funniest things yeah. I have ever seen. And even in this episode, even the finale, like, the Target sequence, the bit where mm-hmm. one of the characters goes to Target, is very darkly funny, but is still very funny. Yeah. Um, like, I, I kind of, I, I understand that they're not everybody's speed, but I also think that they ended entirely on their own terms which is quite remarkable like it's everything that i would kind of hope for when i heard like bill Hader and jesse armstrong saying no we're calling it now like it's like we've decided this is where the axe drops this is where it ends and Mm -hmm. watching them i'm like i see exactly why that is because you get to the point that you are happy with as a storyteller that you feel like you've hit your kind of apotheosis i think like the thing with Succession is is that finale is just so perfectly structured itself as an episode where you have an hour of like an hour of this is almost what that the ending could be and then a half hour of no this is what the ending has to be and the tension that exists between the two which is the thing succession does rather well which is whenever any character on that show is doing well you have this sense of dread in the pit of your stomach yeah like when an episode ends and one of those characters is in a quote-unquote happy place you're like i feel very sorry for them i i I know what's coming and somehow it's going to be worse um, yeah. I love, I love that. Love that Seb's like, no, more, more. No, suffering. not no. That's not even more or less. I was just, it's just like, I don't like any of you, but I can't deny <laughs> that it is so good. And especially as you said, uh, it is almost uh, in its own formula. Whereas, you know, in the beginning, Kendall, uh, you got, you got what you wanted. Well, now let's talk about how you owe so much money. Please <laughs> yeah. don't jump off this roof while I'm talking to you. I was like, that, yeah. that is just this is such a great scene. But and it, and yeah. it just constantly happens to him, and. I don't know. I think it is just because of all the of all the things I could feel recreationally, um, watching people I don't like not getting what they deserve, and also not really like it just doesn't service me in that way. But that's why I can say it's good. It's really great. Like um, I see Shakespeare being thrown out way too much, but it does feel like a more like old school kind of oh, place. It's King style. Lear. It's King, it's yeah. King Lear. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, in that sense, it's like, yeah, it, it hits all those notes. You may just not like them. And that's fine. I've yeah. watched a lot of things with the with the people I just don't like. I bring back. I, mean, I think a lot of prestige, modern prestige TV has been like Tony Soprano is not a good person. Walter White is not a good person. <laughs> yeah. Don Draper is not a good person. Like these aren't good people that we are watching, but we are compelled because they are compelling people because they are it's it's magnetic to watch them even if you fucking despise everything they stand for especially if you take the sort of the bulk because this this last season succession seems like it all took place over the court it was like a week quote unquote in real time like a day each episode was a day Yeah, and so it's a, if, it's a week from episode three through to episode ten, basically. Yeah, and so you know you get the you get the funeral of three weeks ago, and then or two weeks ago, and then you get the the election, the episode before, and like all of these kind of uh, being woven together. Uh, I, I I think is is a remark. I think this this last season is going to be even better on a rewatch, um, knowing what happens and sort of the seeds they lay, and like the line I keep thinking of is is. Uh, Logan in that karaoke bar, like the last thing he says to them is, You're you are not serious. serious people. 
And like this is when they're like fighting in a glass in a glass <laughs> office space, yeah. and they're like you know fucking children fighting. Uh, it is it is we're one of those nothing. Amazing- we're bullshit, and it's like yeah. that's, that's like that's what Logan told you you were eight episodes ago. The second episode of the season, the last thing he said to you again, as you said in the cheesy karaoke bar at Connor yeah. Stag Night. Yeah, like like um, I like I also think they worked really well for me because I am I'm a nerd who likes themes. I will forgive a lot of issues with any ending or story as long as it's like consistently true to its themes. In that, like I, I like Breaking Bad a lot. I think Breaking Bad is spectacular. I think like Ozymandias is like the pinnacle of that final season, and I think Felina doesn't work as well for me as it does for most people because I don't feel like Walter White's redemption is earned thematically. Mm-hmm. I get like I get like in terms of character, you've spent five years with this guy. You want to see Walter White get an ending where he is somewhat vindicated. Um, but I think thematically that never really clicked for me. And that's why like Breaking Bad, I love it. I think it's a fantastic show, but that ending wasn't perfect in the way that say Better Call Souls ending was perfect because Mm -hmm. that was exactly where that character and all those characters should have ended up at the end of that story and it just fits perfectly and i think both barry and succession kind of accomplished that i think like i think barry in particular like does something really daring with the last act of its last episode which is not something that can you imagine going into a tv office and pitching the last act of that last episode of barry and like just going here's what we're doing and here's the actors who are going to appear in it and here's what it's going to be and the the executive going but the show is called and and the lead actor is and like and like but it, it works and again you mentioned that thing with succession where Again, we're we're not talking with spoilers, but to keep it vague, I like that after the finale aired, there's a lot of ambiguity. And like there are people arguing online that like, oh no, 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 no. X character got a happy ending. Or like in the long term, this is the best thing that could happen to that character. Yeah. Um, like and I love the ambiguity of you sitting there as an audience member being left to say, well, I've spent four years with these people. I think I understand how their brains work and I can extrapolate from this ending to know myself which of them is happy and which of them isn't. Yeah. None of them are. Um, But like (laughs) the fact that the show doesn't hold your hand and doesn't feel the need to like give you a bit of text on screen telling you Kendall Roy died on the way back to his home planet or something like that, that it just leaves you with that. Like, we without getting into spoilers there's a very particular like again jeremy strong has talked about how when he shot his final scene in succession he made a very strong artistic choice um that was cut out of the episode and that artistic choice would have been a lot less ambiguous than the shot that we're left with but it's fascinating because when i was watching that shot of kendall roy at the end of the season i was kind of thinking that which is remarkable like the the show was able to trust me enough as a viewer that I was that it left those blanks for me. It didn't feel the need to be explicit. And it knew that it would be kind of richer for that because I will never know. The same way that Kendall will never know whether his father was crossing out or underlining his name in the will. Yeah. I will never know what happens next to Kendall Roy. I think I know. I'm like 90% certain I know. But I like that the show is like, but you don't really fundamentally, which is yeah. kind of amazing. It's a, It's a huge, really confident move from a show like this, I think. Yeah, and I, I think a uh, 
it, it felt like such a fitting the last moment of every main character was such a fitting place to leave them yes like i am so glad there's not another season as much as i i, I did love watching these horrible people over the course of the past four years or four four seasons i am so happy there's not a fifth a fifth season because there easily could be because they're all gonna have lives after this and and arguably like what Shiv's life is going to be really interesting. What Roman's life is going to be is really interesting. But the fact that Jesse Armstrong, again, like going back to our point from a few months ago, is is walking out on on his own two feet, and then that writers' room and that incredible directing team with with Mark Mylod and everything, um, just a, a just like stone cold remarkable in uh, in in my opinion. And uh, yeah, so many so many small moments, especially in these last three episodes, that are just going to stick with me. Um, and like. Every character gets a like stellar send off yeah. scene or so, like like Roman at the funeral. Like that is just like, holy shit. I was like, I didn't realize you had that. I didn't realize you had that bullet in the chamber. Yeah. Well, even like Ewan, like his brother yeah. played by James Cromwell, like just fucking walks in and gets this tremendous powerhouse moment that tells you so much about this character and who this character is. And like who this character who you've spent four years with was who logan actually was mm -hmm. again so much of this is so fascinating because it trusts you the audience and it trusts the actors as well like i think like people like armstrong and people like Milet have talked about how like the show is the writing in the show is fantastic but it wouldn't be what it is without the actors and like mm -hmm. strong in particular has talked about how like while they're filming he'll keep throwing ideas out to, to my load and armstrong the the writers there's a faber and faber have released the annotated scripts and in those the writers talk about how they would always make sure they had writers on set as well so they could adjust it if they needed to yeah like i think i think like there's a there's a sequence in that final episode where strong says like actually that was something that i added to the scene um, and I talked with the, the actor who plays Frank um, and we mm -hmm. said, like, this scene should be in like it wasn't originally going to be in. But I felt that it was important that we show that. And apparently on the day they just threw it in. The writers are like, yeah, those these are the four lines of that scene. And it just it's beautiful. Um, like, again, it's it's just such a perfect harmony of all these elements coming together in ways that it just feels so perfect. And again, how television gets made. Uh, where it's just spontaneous and you're counting on like catching a spark, catching lightning in a bottle. Um, and I think the show did incredibly. I put it, I, I put succession, uh, Barry and even Atlanta, uh, which, which wrapped up um, not too long ago. There are these interesting sort of sibling shows in my mind. Uh, they started around the same time. They ended around the same time. Uh, they are sort of by these auteur creators who started in comedy and sketch comedy. All of them, uh, Jesse Armstrong yeah. and, right. and Bill Hader and uh, Donald Glover, and eventually grew up to become these incredible dramatists like the, yeah. these these amazing uh, uh just, just with these fully fledged visions that weren't based on an ip that weren't based on a book and that you know fx and, and hbo respectively were able to give the green light to and really um you know stick with uh over the course of the four seasons and let them go out on their own terms and i don't know are we going to see that again like i hope but that's in this, thing. in in the Max, the the Max era of HBO, like 
Is, is FX this is exist? now owned by Disney. Like FX is now owned by Disney, and it's gonna be it's yeah. gonna be home to Noah Hawley's like Alien show, which I'm yeah. very excited for. Sure, I'm really looking forward to Noah Hawley's Alien show, but I'm also like, does that make it less likely that you will commission the next Atlanta? Yeah, like that's the thing. And like as you said, this is ending you the HBO Discovery era, where it's mm-hmm. like it really, it really does. Like the fact that these two final episodes were at the risk of being sabotaged by the rebranding of the HBO Max app to just Max. It's kind of incredible. It gives you that perfect snapshot of a moment. Um, and like, hell, even the, the fact that like during the week there was the controversy over like the Max app, which is just a weird thing to say. Uh, but Max basically not having writers and directors in it, having creators. Yeah. Where that. it's like, which is like everything is content now. Like Martin Scorsese is my favorite content creator. Um, <laughs> right. It's Markiplier, like- Martin Scorsese right there <laughs> yeah. in the same same breath. <laughs> it's really depressing yeah that's really depressing <laughs> um yeah i guess then pivoting pivoting to, to barry as well um this is i understand i understand more succession ended i feel like succession first season and last season were the same show whereas barry evolved in this <laughs> in, a, in a gradual way but when you look back you're like holy shit when we started, this was a comedy with a little bit of assassination murder. And now when you end it, you're like, oh, my God, this last season is is bleak. This is one of the bleakest things I've seen on TV in a very long time. You say this, but as someone who started Barry, like, probably more recent-ish than most, is pretty dark and pretty heavy from the get-go, man. Like the Macbeth scene. like Yeah. There's... It, it's it's it has that I keep referencing Kickass as the one because it has uh, like a very conflicting moves where I'm like I was just laughing and now you just killed that guy in a very brutal way and I laughed too long yeah you know, like that yeah. made me uncomfortable <laughs> same thing with Barry where it was just like very very serious but you got me laughing and then you almost remind me that they, it was never. Uh, never meant to be that funny even though it does obviously like when they're having that shootout and he's like come on man he shot you in the same place he shot me oh my god the same arm too he's so good at this <laughs> like it is it is so funny in that way but it i think it, it just never takes away from that fact that it is um really really dark like when he's uh fighting the the judo instructor guy yeah, oh my god yeah, it is yeah, really yeah. funny the lily is it the, yeah. the ronnie and lily yeah, episode. Ronnie yeah. Lily, which is yeah. the undertone of it is like he has to kill this guy this whole time like that that's that's that awkward moment where it's almost like barry is struggling to find a way to not kill people but it's it always has to come to that like the inspector lady uh the judo instructor guy his friend where he's like i really like why did yeah, you say yeah, that, war yeah. that yeah. just really yeah. so when he makes it look like a it. suicide yeah 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 it's just like oh my god that's just yeah so i guess it's there was i guess maybe more moments of levity like the moments of levity still existed in this last season but i feel like they were so few and far between that maybe they were even more like the the one in this last season is uh, darren you mentioned this the para scenes i think in the last two episodes where he goes into walmart to to buy a gun and yeah. in, in the, the first time he goes in, he's got his like uh, his his self help podcast, yeah. uh, uh, which is Bill Burr. I'm pretty sure, right? Bill Burr, the comedian, is the one voicing yeah. that. Uh, and he's listening to it, and the, the, when he's buying a gun from the girl, she says something, and he takes his ear, uh, headphones off. He's like, <laughs> "What? What did you say?" And she's like, "I'm legally obligated to show you these pictures of gun victims." And he looks down, and it's just gruesome gun violence. He's like, "Oh, yep, that's fine." <laughs> <laughs> like you're like and oh, puts the headphone I, back in and he puts the headphone right back in i'm like oh yeah this show this the show absolutely still has it 
but again, like the and again, so much of as it goes on, it does feel like Hater's kind of a because Hater's always been a really ambitious guy. Mm-hmm. He's like documentary now is one of those shows that I cannot believe exists for yeah. the amount of budget that it gets and the effort that goes into it, where they basically make a different documentary pastiche as a parody like every week. Yeah, um, and there's with, no like, like format they go back to. It's like nope, we yeah. start fresh every time. Yeah, and it, it doesn't look like it costs that much money, but they're just, like, committed to making it happen because mm-hmm. Hater is this huge film nut. But, like, as it goes on, like, it's been really interesting that Hater is growing. Obviously, as an artist, I'm really excited to see him as a director after this, yeah. a writer after this. Holy but, like, it, as he's been going, I think, like, if you read interviews with him, it really seems like his... He's been that that way that writers are often are motivated by spice towards their audience, mm-hmm. where he was, like... The audience doesn't seem to get that Barry is a creep and a bad guy Mm -hmm. and like not worthy of rooting for. So how do I communicate that to the audience as clearly as possible? And that's why you get like the gradual kind of ramping up, why the show begins to lean harder into it. Because haters like after the first season, I was worried the audience should have got it and they weren't. So I just Mm -hmm. decided I'd take the dial and just turn it all the way up. And like there. It's fascinating to watch the show, which began as this like story of an assassin who becomes a hitman and then kind of evolves into this weird metaphor for like, again, American exceptionalism, where he's like talking about Abraham Lincoln and he's like talking about the legacy of the Civil War. And like he's de- there's a moment in the final episode where Noho Hank has built this statue to the lover that he killed, um, but has built this mythology around. And it becomes this kind of story, not just about the lies that Barry obviously tells himself about how he's a good person, how everything he's doing is justified, but like a broader, really ambitious parable for how the lies that like society tells itself about how it works, the myths that we construct around ourselves in order to tell us that we are good people who live in a good world. And it's like this this began as like a one line jokey pitch about what if an assassin went to acting class yeah and he was a really bad actor (laughs) he was like a really shitty that's the thing that sticks through though is that like the the parts that they want from barry are the parts that he's trying to hide from that's the unfortunate he is a bad actor but whenever they say that space that you were just in when you were acting (laughs) there, get to it again that wasn't space he was in that was trauma like that yeah i just killed someone kind of thing and and that sort of he can never have both because if you know he'll eventually push too far to where they realize oh you really are just a monster and now they're all gone or (laughs) if he stops being the monster well now you're just a even worse actor than you were when you started like yeah he can't be happy at all whatsoever i think think and how evident from the start (laughs) and how he is a virus who infects yeah, the people everybody around else. Them. Yeah, yeah, Sally and Kusino and like <laughs> like he he's every life he touched he made it demonstrably worse. Um yeah. and yeah, Darren, you were you were mentioning sort of the the lies uh the lies society tells themselves and that that last scene which uh PJ Doolin with a final Ardono, thank you so much PJ. Barry's ending blew me away. The final scene was such a statement towards those who may have expected the show to be something that it wasn't. Uh yeah, I think that final scene is also like the role Hollywood plays in the the yeah. sort of the 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 the, per- the perpetuation of that myth like again it's yeah. manifest destiny it's the western how much of the show takes place in the desert like the third yeah. season like begins and ends with barry digging holes in the desert uh Ooh. when barry runs away he runs away to the desert that vast american frontier where yeah. you can be anything you want to be you can reinvent yourself and the whole idea of hollywood is this place where america constantly reinvents itself and tells itself stories about itself that to make itself feel comfortable mm-hmm. Like 
again, so much of this is and very similar to Succession. Succession is is arguably part of the same conversation. When you hear like Jeremy Strong, who I know is not everybody's cup of tea and who I know can be a bit much in interviews. When he talks about Succession, he keeps dropping references to like, was it Terminal Decadence, a Rolling Stone article written by an economist, which really unlocked the show for him. But it is this idea of these shows. They feel like they are again, in the way that all television is where they begin and evolve, where, like, obviously they launched in 2018-ish, right, which mm-hmm. is the height of the Trump presidency, and they're kind of playing through that, and then COVID happens, and it really seems like a lot of that just seeped, like, indirectly into those shows. Obviously, the pandemic didn't happen in either, they're not directly sure. about that, but, like, if you watch the gap between the second and third season in both shows, where there is a year gap of production, obviously due to the pandemic, they come back and they come back a lot meaner and they come back a lot angrier. And they come back, as you said, like a lot more frustrated with systems. And again, when you think of Barry, like Barry's critique of Hollywood is almost as scathing as its critique of the guy at the center of the show who (laughs) murders people mercilessly, where all the stuff about the algorithm feels ahead of the curve. They had that like wonderful joke with Ian Hedder, the director of CODA, coming in to direct this like blue screen Wonder Woman movie. And and the fact that like the final, as you said, the final scene of the show isn't about Barry or Kusno directly, because like I assume we're talking with spoilers. Are we talking with spoilers? I think at this at this point, yeah. Okay, so warning for spoilers. Um, yeah, but, but like, but, 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 Barry, that was a spoiler warning. Barry yeah. gets shot in the head, um, like yeah. at the end of the second or the penultimate act, and the final act is his son going and getting a DVD copy of The Mask Collector, the movie that Hollywood has made about him, glorifying him and turning him into this victim. And the final shot of the episode is. John, Barry's son, who has never really met or known his father as he truly was. He's only known his father as he presented himself, as he pretended to be, getting this version fed to him of Hollywood, uh, sorry, of his father, crying, smiling, tears running down his face. This idea of the mythology kind of self-perpetuating and never having to confront the reality of who his father actually was Mm -hmm. because it's so much more it's so much more comforting to be told no your father was a good man an innocent man i think it's very pointed how much in that like short five minute like clip of the movie that we see how much they keep going back to he was a soldier he was a good soldier he was a decent soldier he went and he fought for america and then this weirdly british kusno as well just so we're clear the villain of this movie is a foreigner even though he was played by henry wrinkler and yeah yeah it, it's so much about like how these myths get folded into one another and how so much of the show to that point is about the idea of you as a person confronting the reality that you are not who you think you are. You are not who you want to be. And in order to move forward, you have to do that. You have to acknowledge what you've done, how you feel and how you feel bad about it to just cutting to. And that probably doesn't actually matter at all because you have an entire system that's set up just to tell you mm-hmm. um, all these lies that you would much rather believe. I, I found it in- incredible. I really, really did. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it. The fact that two endings that knocked my socks off on the same night, like we don't get one of these very often. Completely, I was on sockless. <laughs> they each knocked a sock off. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, it's it's cold in the ninety degree summer here. That's why uh, I wear I wear socks with sandals. The sandals keep the there socks on me. <laughs> Um, did, uh, uh, I, I want to talk, uh, uh, sort of, uh, a little bit about, uh, finales as a whole. Are there any, um, when, when you think of a series finale, do you have something in your mind that, that you kind of want 
or is it very much a case by case basis? Like a finale needs to sort of, do you think a finale should be a thesis statement? Should it be a zag? Should it be, you know, letting us know what happens to all these people we've liked spending time with? I am very much in the, in the same vein. Why I enjoyed secession, even though I hate everyone is that they stuck to their guns. Like you said, first season of that, last season of that you could imagine straight line like this is what we wanted to do this is what we we wanted to stick through that's all i want i just want it to i don't want to finish and go what was that what i what was everything i just watched and then what was that so long as they can maintain their theme and it's ended in a way that they feel is true to the thing that they were making that all that time i'm okay with it i don't have it doesn't have to be a happy ending it doesn't even have to be satisfying i just sort of want it to be thematic like just match everything else I'm generally agnostic. I, I will try and approach every finale on like the basis of what it is in that. Like, I think, say, the next Star Trek, the next generations, uh, all good things is the perfect finale for me, even though it doesn't really feel like it's a coda. In fact, like, you know, the, the closing idea is that, like, Q says the trial never ends. You know, there is no conclusion to this journey. And in fact, at the time, you're like, well, I'm going to follow this crew into theaters to see Star Trek Generations, mm -hmm. like within a couple of months of this ending. But that that idea of like the adventure continuing, of Picard finally going and sitting down with his crew, having a glimpse of a future where they aren't all together, understanding that like they won't be like this. This moment will not last forever, uh, but also bringing us back to the moment itself, I, I think works wonderfully and is not what I would have had on the cards for a finale for Star Trek The Next Generation. I think Did you, I didn't dealing, realize the timing with the movie was... Oh, oh yeah. No, this this is the thing. The weird thing about it is they're both written by uh, Ronald D. Moore and uh -huh. uh, Brandon Braga, um, and they were both written at the same time. Interesting. And I think they have they have both talked very candidly about how like the message from the studio and themselves was that the movie was the most important thing. That was the script that they really stressed over and really sweated over and really kind of labored over. And then they got to oh fuck, the finale's coming up. We have to bang this one out. And they banged it out, as they said, over the course of like a weekend or maybe a week, a remarkably short period of time, having put no real thought into what it was going to be. And like everybody, including the writers themselves, go, and you know which one of those two is the better script? Yeah. It's the one that we banged out over the weekend without having to worry about the stress of being a cinematic adaptation. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it was um, it was literally back to back to back. They They went from shooting the TV show to shooting the film. Um, and the idea was that it would serve as like a, a leapfrog. It's very similar to the X Files situation. Oh like yeah, the X Files. The, the fight the yeah. Future. yeah, yeah, fight the future, where they filmed that in the gap between four and five, and then five leads directly into the release of the movie the following summer as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think if you're the modern day, everything's all serialized. There's more pressure to stick the landing in inverted commas. In that, if you have been telling a, the consistent same story for five years you should probably end that story and you should end that story like in a way that feels final and fitting. Yeah. Um, like I do find myself as I get older uh, and obviously, as you said, closer to death, wonderful thought. Uh, I find myself, I find myself not just you like specifically, all of us are closer to death. <laughs> I mean, that's much better, right? I'm just yeah, it, it would be creepier around. if you said, Darren, you're getting close to death. Yeah. The rest of us are getting further. My life expectancy is somehow going up the more yeah. I age. We've been talking to that dude who's <laughs> siphoning his son's blood. That weird guy who went oh, viral. Yeah. He, looks, yeah. he looks like he's a 90s album cover. Like, um, But what I will say is that as I get older and as I get closer to death, I like the idea of endings. I like myself liking yeah. final, final conclusions. 
uh, much more than I did when I was younger. Like, I like the idea that this will be the last time I see the Roy siblings. I like the yeah. idea that this will be the last time I see Barry. I like that. And I find myself frustrated with the fact that for so much of pop culture, endings aren't endings anymore. Like I mentioned, I think the Next Generation finale is superb and amazing. And it's like, well, now there's there's four movies and there's the yeah. third season of Star Trek Picard. And I feel like that makes it harder for me to go back and watch that finale and feel like that sense of closure that I like. So I like just finales in general is my really boring take on this. No, no, so do I. And uh, yeah, it is like you have these this sort of sweet spot where you have certain shows that seem like they go on for way too long and you've, you've lost the thread and, and uh, you, you sort of aren't walking out with any dignity. And then you have other shows that are uh, plucked too soon. You know, you have, uh, what was, what was the, the, the dark creators show 1899. Was that the thing that the, the yeah. Netflix thing last year? Yeah. That, that had the one season built up all the mysteries and then it's just gone. And so you never, you never get an ending to that. Um, you know, but but uh, the the ones that stick in in my mind, uh, uh, leftovers and Watchmen, I kind of put hand in hand as as the last two things that Damon Lindelof. Well, I guess besides Mrs. Davis, but last two things that Damon Lindelof has shepherded. Uh, the leftover is probably one of my all time favorite final scenes, final episodes, final moments. Um, yeah. I just rewatched that a few months ago, and it is uh, it remains every bit as as powerful and beautiful. And uh, that is a show that each of its seasons felt remarkably different. Like yes. it is not like succession where it all seems of a piece. Like it is, it is clear that they sort of got together in between every season and, and we're like, okay, what, what are we doing here? Like, where are we going to pivot? And maybe that partly has to do with the camera zooming out after every show or after every season where it's not just about the city, but it's about this place in Texas, but not this spot about this place in Texas. It's about Australia. Um, but the, yeah, the way they stuck the landing, I thought was, was pretty incredible. <laughs> And very similar to Succession, having that ambiguity as well, where like the thing about The Leftovers is it it arguably gives you an answer to the show's central mystery, but makes a point that the answer is possibly a complete fabrication just to make you feel better. And it's up to you to decide as a viewer how you feel about that, which is, again, very incredible, very ballsy. Uh, something I really admire in a finale is like the fact that it makes you a participant. And I guess... I guess as much as I like definite endings, I also like ambiguity in those definite endings. But I like the idea that like being welcomed into those finales as a viewer, being invited to have your own input. The yeah. idea that, you know, you have spent however many years with these characters, you've spent however many episodes, you know them. And if the show has done its job right, when you get to the ending, it can give you the space to kind of like imagine the next step or to imagine the finer detail or to make a decision about what a character is saying or doing in that final episode. Again, The Sopranos is a great example here where I mm -hmm. just, I love that cut to black and yeah, that same. cut to black, you ask anybody and you'll get like a bunch of different opinions. Is Tony dead immediately afterwards? I don't yeah. know. Um, my own take on it is the idea, the point is that Tony's never going to get better and Tony's going to be living, li looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. Yeah, every he's car backfiring he thinks is the end. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And he's not going to get better. The entire point of that sixth season is like the characters are given these moments of like close to epiphanies. You know, you have like um, Carmela going to, is it Rome or the Vatican or yeah, wherever it yeah. is? And like having this moment of spiritual connection and then just rushing right back to and the And then Jason Momoa destroys it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
um, because God doesn't exist anymore. You have like, for example, um, like Vito going off and having this perfect idealized romantic life yeah. and then deciding to throw it all in and come back anyway. And like, yeah. I like that the, the ending of The Sopranos is just like, he may not die today. He may not die tomorrow. He's in this life. He's probably going to die horribly in some very boring and predictable mundane way. And we don't need to keep showing you it because the story's over. The window of time where he could have changed is over. And again, that not to get too spoilery about succession. I think like you mentioned the fact that the entire the bulk of the final season takes place over the course of a week. It feels like that is the most important week in the lives of those characters. Yeah. And everything that comes after that will be incidental. And I think like Jesse Armstrong's talked about this, like in his post, you know, episode interviews where he's like, anything that Kendall does after this point, anything whatsoever will pale in significance to this. It will never measure up to this. It will never be as important or as pivotal or as pivotal or as like character defining as what happens in this week. And like, that's, that's perfect. That's what a finale should do. It should be like, here's the end of this most important chapter of a character's life, but you can imagine what's next if you want. And we've given yeah. you the tools, you know, without without it feeling like a cop out of going, ah, you write the rest. You pick yeah. it. Yeah. You're doing now. <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I'm, I'm a, a few of the, the finales that stick out to me are ones that um, you can see was was the creator wrestling with the system that they were in. Um, which you see in the end of season two of Twin Peaks, which for a while was the ending. And then we got Firewalk with me, which was a prequel, but was Lynch able, he was able to go out on his own two feet. And then we had the return, which I, is still like, it boggles my mind that, that Bill Hader was able to, uh, uh, do eight episodes of Barry, like direct all eight episodes of Barry this season. Yeah. It is even crazier. I think David Lynch directed like 18 hours of weird TV. And and like at least one of them is possibly the best in the history of the medium. Like yeah. at least one of them. Like all yeah. of them are great. One of them is maybe the best thing that ever existed. Yeah, it's 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 mind boggling. Uh, and then uh, the other one uh, pivoting to to anime hashtag weeb shit uh, <laughs> is especially one that has several endings. Is uh, oh, Neon, okay. Neon Genesis yeah. Evangelion, which uh, has its uh, has its series ending there is the end of evangelion movie which frost i believe you watched watch the first half it like it has credits <laughs> in the middle of it what happened there <laughs> oh the, the, there's so like so again like this is the thing where it's the opposite of a definitive ending where like yeah. anno is just constantly re-ending his show yeah. Yeah. and again i i know he has explicitly said that this is not what he was doing and obviously i respect his opinion about what he was and wasn't doing i also suspect that there may be a limit to how frank and honest you can be about it sure. but like the show in the story the show kind of ran out of money and therefore mm -hmm. at the end of the first season the end of the show it gets more abstract and metaphorical yeah like you have this wonderful thing Characters where he plays sitting on chairs and dark rooms and flashing images and words appearing on yeah, screen and, and appearing as like sketches where you have the breaking of the fourth wall where he uses the language of animations so the characters just kind of become mm -hmm. stick drawings for example and move through spaces that become increasingly abstract and it becomes this idea of breaking down characters into ideas and you have this notion of like transcendence that is, is very formalist and very ambitious and completely eschews the idea of what one might expect from like a giant mech show i yeah. want to be clear here 
I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know about anime, but this is just no, my vibe watching that's, it, to be clear. That's spot on. He was also, he's very open about, he was suffering from from major depression at the time. And and a lot of that came through in the art. And then all of a sudden, 15, 20 years later, he, go, he comes back and he makes these four movies that are the yeah. rebuild of Evangelion. And they are simultaneously remakes and sequels. Yeah. And by the end of that, he the, the the last Evangelion movie, without spoiling it, feels like he is he, announcing he his wife. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I am better. Like, yeah. I feel better now and I can give these people a happy ending that I couldn't give them, you know, 20 years ago, except everyone standing around and saying congratulations and clapping, which is how every show should end. Every show yeah. should end and with every clapped. main character, including <laughs> the penguin. Uh, not the penguin, the man, but the penguin, the penguin. <laughs> Colin Farrell. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like, but like that, that's the thing is that like end of Evangelion. And again, he denies this, um, but I'm watching it and I can't read in any which way, but whatever. It feels like him doing a direct fuck you to the audience where it's like mm-hmm. you wanted the big mech fight with all the blood on it and all the death and depression. And as you said, the fact that at one point during end of Evangelion, if I remember correctly, he shows a cinema full of Japanese moviegoers, which yeah. is meant to be like, it's assuming that you're watching this in a cinema and it's yeah. literally holding up a mirror to you as if to say, this is your fault. You are making these characters suffer by demanding I make this. But yeah. like you mentioned the end of the rebuild and like, it's fascinating because he was like, initially he wanted to just follow the blueprint, as I recall, mm-hmm. of the original movies and just kind of develop them turn them into movie adaptations but then he began making changes and they branched and like i think the final shot and i may be wrong here in the final moments of the last rebuild he the shinji meets a a girl at a train station train station yeah i i believe that's the same train station where anno met his wife wife. yeah yeah and i'm like it's such a great like it's it's that weird thing where I'm invested as much in the creator of the art as I am in the art itself. And it's like, I'm just happy for you, man. Like, I'm really glad that you are in this place. Like, I'm watching this and I'm like, good for you, Anno. Good for you. You've earned it. And it's it's funny to to show that we can contain multitudes. At the same time, I really like the Parks and Rec ending, even though it is just let's flash forward 25, 30 years into the future and show you that everyone you liked had an happy ending. I was like, that's nice as well. Comedies don't have to have like Parks and Rec wasn't a show that needed like to to, like emphasize its message at the end, because ultimately it was about uh, good people that you liked spending time with. And so so that like, you know, everything doesn't have to be fourth wall breaking, mind blowing. Um, Sometimes stuff Uh, can just be nice. I think is it like the six feet under? Six Feet Under ends by showing you all the characters' deaths. Yeah, which is fitting for that show, because that's that's what that show was built around. Um, yeah. That's a really good ending, too. Yeah, yeah. Veep's ending is all, all in the game. Uh, Veep's ending is is very similar. Um, any other know, any other endings that stick out to you guys? Uh, the Good Place is a recent example. Yeah. I really, really liked. Um, no. I really, really, really love that ending. Yeah. Really, like it's it's so amazing that the show's premise is like fix the afterlife, and then it does. Like yeah. it, it's like it's a task that is fundamentally like fix society, and it's like this half hour sitcom is like, yeah. By the way, we did it, and we have an hour at the end to spare. So let's just hang out and celebrate yeah. how great it is that we fixed the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would say uh, Frost. You had a you had a couple mentioned here. My favorites are the this was all for naught. Kind of ending so like death note probably one of my favorite endings this is off so many people that's like what was that it literally started with ryuk just going i'm bored you 
take my journal. When I'm yeah. done with you, I'm going to kill you. And, th and then yeah. it, it, the story gets so crazy. If anything, that just shows how good the story was that you forgot how it started. And then yeah. the ending is just like, yeah, all right. You're like, oh, yeah, he wasn't lying. I'm yeah. done with you. And I was like, yes, I love that. That just like it was all, and for what? And for what? Same thing with, uh, was it? That's why I didn't care too much for the way Peaky Blinders ended, I suppose, is because it it went for that and all for what ending, but then at the last second, it gave him one more thing to live for. I'm like, mm -hmm. God dang it, why? This could go anywhere, you know? Same thing with, like, uh, House MD and all for what, you know? Yeah. You, you went through therapy. You got rid of your, your vices. You Your friend has cancer. All for what? It's like, I'm just going to spend the last few months I have with him, and then who knows? those are probably my favorite endings because they're the biggest i'd almost say those are the biggest ones in spite of an audience of like i know people probably won't like this but that's the way i want to end it you know so i was like you know i'm i'm on board with that. i could pretend that he was a doctor somewhere else after the fact you know i could pretend um but i think the ones that really slam it like sons of anarchy <laughs> and for what <laughs> yeah yeah the, I, I love those kinds of endings absolutely uh yeah i don't know if we can count miniseries because they're not really tv shows they're generally written in one big burst and filmed in one big burst and kind of divided up but that's I, how watchmen, I, will... I kind of felt weird even yeah, mentioning watchmen yeah i was gonna say yeah. the new dracula because it, it was yeah like, oh yeah the, the modern the one that yeah, was the, modern day the or modern day did one. the twist the modern day yeah yeah the which is I, I kind of really admire that it's like two episodes of here's a very good dracula adaptation and then it's like oh by the way we're also remaking dracula yeah. <laughs> which is such a, such a great pitch it's like what if we made like a period adaptation of dracula and then we just did it all again yeah, but in the yeah, modern age um <laughs> but i i do like edge of darkness the classic british tv show uh and i found that ending really fitting i do want to shout out though that uh bob peck the actor did veto the original ending which would have seen his character literally and symbolically transforming into a giant tree to symbolize the show's themes about environmentalism apparently when peck read the script he went up to the writer and said i am not turning into a fucking tree and they were like fine we'll change the ending if you could have one TV show end with the main character turning into a tree, which would have been, and would you rather have had Kendall or Barry turn into a tree? They already, they already did that in Avatar. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, those grandiose <laughs> things are for film. There you, there you go. Uh, some folks uh, in the chat were mentioning stuff like uh, Babylon Five. Uh, Old Hunter said, "My favorite's Babylon Five. It's mushy and corny and sentimental, and it's good. Finales are for fans anyway. It's not like they have to care about new viewers anymore." Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Palash T. Andrew Lucas uh, both mentioned the Seinfeld ending. I think Seinfeld ended. Like, there's certain things that are so big. You're like, how do you possibly end this? Seinfeld, Game of Thrones, obviously Game of Thrones much maligned final season and ending and yeah it's the worst season of the show but i don't know at that point there's been a lot of good stuff beforehand they're, they're it's gonna, fine to have a bad ending they're gonna get a full metal alchemist approach where it's like yeah we rushed it before the material was done time for brotherhood so game of thrones brotherhood game of thrones will, brotherhood <laughs> there was already a brotherhood is it the brotherhood without banners like that those are the guys who keep coming back to life oh god you're yeah, assuming god. that those books are ever going to be finished though that's the thing george, like, george r. r martin was uh, coming he was, up uh, soon he was he was uh with the strikers in albuquerque all right never mind i, I was meant to say i feel like george R. R. martin not writing is not a news story as much as i appreciate it he loves a good strike loves a good strike <laughs> <laughs> and they're like uh you know george this is just uh, uh screenwriting like you you can keep writing your book he's like no solidarity five years now <laughs> yeah all in the making i was striking before it was cool i've got yeah, exactly. five back five back years of uh yeah uh, what's the next 
So what do we have, like, what are the next sort of major monoculture finales we're going to have coming up? We'll have Andor um, next year, probably. Um, and and uh, the Andor finale is interesting because it's always like, is that going to dovetail immediately into, like, the beginning of Rogue One? Um, yeah. well, he, you said, know, he said it pretty much does. He says, like, it's it's pretty much shot for shot. Yeah, like, so shot that'll be interesting. Will pretty much be the opening shot of, of um, the story. We don't know what The Last of Us uh, is is going to look like in terms of are they just going to adapt the second game? Is it going to be two seasons for the one game? By that point, will there be a third game to adapt? Because there's not going to be a multiplayer thing, because that seems like a big mess. Um, but Yellowstone uh, is the big one, I think, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, that's and that has the drama around it of Costner. The being Costner. Like, I'm out. <laughs> I, I made enough to make my next Vanity Western. Um, yeah, yeah. If I were a producer of Yellowstone, I'd just put the show on hiatus until that bombs, and then be like, Kevin, <laughs> another five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, does it count if it's... If it's already been written, so like I know people are in heavy anticipation for Attack on Titan. People who haven't seen yeah, the that'll be are interesting. like, oh my god, what's happening? Yeah, and that's an ending there that you keep <laughs> being like, like part two of the last part of the second half of the ending. Like, how is this it's, not? It's like, it's like that 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 pataphysical uh, musing of like you can never reach an ending because to get to an ending to get to a destination you have to go halfway and then halfway and then halfway and that's what they're going to keep on doing it chopping it up and you can never ever get there yeah 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 that's interesting demon slayer when they get there that'll be another in terms of like the big the big anime if one piece ever ends i know we keep talking about anime but those are no no i'm familiar with one piece and i've also yeah i mean those demon slayer i was about to say those Um, are are three relatively big ones like yeah that are are in the monoculture yeah we don't i know that (laughs) Uh, we don't Who. have like yeah doctor who's interesting because that's cyclical that's never end, going to end right? yeah that, like, yeah that, that'll end when davies leaves but it hasn't what, started yet davies what do you started. think was the best ending to doctor who like the best era ending um i'd probably go with if you have to pick eras depending on how you define them the fifth doctor's last story which is the case of andrazani from 1984 oh is probably God. the best farewell that the show has ever had who um, was that doc- who, who's the actor that's Pete, peter davison so father-in-law pete to davison, davison. Pete davison peter peter doctor. peter peter davison there's an himself. or an hard or <laughs> <laughs> beef and bumpkiss <laughs> Joe Pesci was the doctor's uncle in that TV in that season. It was very strange. Um, that sounds like someone it, would say, "Yeah, Joe Pesci's my doctor's uncle." <laughs> yeah. uh, but, anyways, but um, what was what was about that one? That sort of that that, that it, well, it's just it's arguably the most perfect episode of like the classic era of Doctor Who that ever exists. It's the perfect culmination. It arrives in the middle of the Thatcher era. It's about miners on strike. It has a villain who was supposed to be played by David Bowie. It finally manages to hone in on like one of the big anxieties of eighties Doctor Who, which is this idea of futility where like throughout the 70s doctor who's like oh there are monsters everywhere and darkness lurking and omnicidal maniacs and the legacy of the british empire and all that sort of stuff but during the 80s when like thatcher is in power it becomes this show about this well-meaning foppish dude who travels through time and everybody dies like just consistently he lands he meets a bunch of people they all die he looks sad he gets in his box and he meets another bunch of people who all die he gets in the box it's a yeah um but the Cave of Androzani kind of works because it's the one where it feels the logical culmination of that, which is he gets in his box, he goes somewhere, he meets a bunch of people, they all die, but he also dies. Um, so it kind of 
yeah, it, it, it you know, it feels like they finally squared that particular circle. Yeah. Um, and I will say that I'm a big fan of like the Moffat era ending. I think the problem is that the Twice Upon a Time is not great, which is the actual final episode, which Moffat, oh. Moffat has this weird thing where he, he only wanted to do three seasons again, like, uh, Russell T Davies did four seasons. Moffat was like, I want to do three and I'm out, but he couldn't find a replacement. So he just kept doing more of it. Um, and eventually he got Chibnall to agree to do it, but Chibnall was working on Broadchurch. So he was like, okay, fine. I will do one more season. So the British public don't forget what Doctor yeah. Who is. It's it's not like, I am very cognizant of the fact that I don't want this show to get canceled. I don't want it to go away and not get renewed. Until you're ready, I will make an entire season of television just to prep you, which is the 10th season. It's fantastic. Um, it's one of the great like post-Brexit, post-Trump seasons of television where it's basically, as I said, a story about a man who travels through time and realizes that he can make no difference whatsoever to how terrible things are, uh, but is profoundly moving because of that. And then Moffat gets to the end of the season. He's like, so, Chibs, you ready? And and Chibnall's like, uh, yeah, so I'm starting in like uh, March, March work for you. It's like... But we have the Christmas slot. And it's like, if we if we don't do the Christmas slot, we'll lose the Christmas slot. And Chibnall's like, I'm kind of busy here. And Moffat's yeah. like, fine, fuck it. I will take the ending of my era and extend it over an entire Christmas special, where the central point of that Christmas special is the Doctor discovering that there is no evil plot that he is chasing. Like, the Doctor dies at the end of the 10th season, and like, as as a result of this situation, he just goes, I'm not going to regenerate for another 40 minutes. And then the Christmas special is him running through time going, well, I guess I better regenerate now and the Chibnall era better start. But if you take away the Twice Upon a Time, the finale that like Capaldi's Doctor gets in World Enough in Time and the Doctor Falls, which is just a beautiful piece of television. Because again, it, it's like that fifth Doctor thing. It's the idea of a decent man being put in a situation where he can do nothing but fail and deciding that he will accept that he will fail and he will accept that he will die and he will accomplish next to nothing, not because you know he will win, not because it's easy, not because it serves any higher purpose or plan, but because it's the right thing to do is like, for me, the most perfect distillation of the romance of that show. It's this character who keeps dying, keeps changing, keeps getting better as he goes. And Moffat kind of hones in on that and makes an entire story about how the best thing this character can do is to sacrifice his life to buy some children a couple more years. Um, not save the universe, not save the galaxy, not prevent the Daleks or the Cybermen from blowing whatever up. Just giving his life to something small and meaningful. Um, and valuable and i, I just thought that was for me the perfect ending of that era or or kind of period of the show sorry that yeah, was a that's long kind of beautiful out. no yeah that's great uh, where are you with temperature check on on this this upcoming new series quite excited i'm a little bit hesitant how much of it feels nostalgic i feel like um i get it's the 60th and i get that like <clears throat> this is one of those things where you need to be very delicate talking about it because obviously the Whitaker Chibnall era is very controversial and you don't want to say something that will be misconstrued as hashtag not my doctor or anything like that, where I think the Chibnall era to a certain extent kind of lost the crowd. And I don't think it lost the crowd because Whitaker is a, a woman or anything like that. I think Whitaker is an incredibly charismatic screen presence. It kind of lost the crowd because Chibnall is a very big fan of that 80s era of Doctor Who I mentioned, where the character just keeps dying and like killing people and like failing repeatedly. and that in the 80s drove away a lot of the show's audience 
uh, as it kind of like delved deeper into its own continuity, stared towards the black hole, started hiring quote unquote fan consultants and started delving deep into the lore. The Chibnall era goes really big on lore, referencing an episode from, I think, like 1977 that nobody watching BBC at 7 p.m. on a Sunday night has ever aware of but all of a sudden becomes this huge plot point that defines that era of the show um and i think that basically davies coming back has to win the audience and i get like it hasn't been said but the vibe that i get is that like it was like doctor who was going to be cancelled if davies didn't come and save it there are there are only a handful of people apparently moffat and davies who can run doctor who the ending of Chibnall's final episode, The Power of the Doctor, was written in such a way that like Whitaker would regenerate, but there would be no new actor. There would be no new doctor. The original draft of that script was just Whitaker's face explodes, and that's it. There was no sense of who was going to succeed him. There was no sense oh. of who was going to succeed her. There was a sense that like the BBC may not just renew the show. And the yeah. vibe I get is that like Davies coming back is like, well, fuck this thing that I built, like what? 13 years ago now is in danger is in danger of collapsing into itself no it's not 13 years ago now it's what 18 years ago now is oh yeah because we're all because we're all dying <laughs> yes we're all dying we're all getting closer to death and so him coming back and him bringing back david tennant who is the most popular doctor in the uk him bringing back Catherine tate who is the most popular companion in the uk immediately feels like he's basically building a nostalgia bank mm-hmm. and so i kind of understand why he's doing it but i'm also like I kind of want to get to the Nakuti Gatwa part. I want to get to the bit where there's a new actor and he's exciting and he's doing new things and he's an actor I don't know or understand or have expectations of. So I've also been really burned by a lot of these nostalgia plays lately. Yes. Of of things that you love. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I don't want the... Picard, we're saying Rise with Picard. <laughs> Rise with Picard. I like that. Yeah, um, but it's okay because this isn't the third installment of a thing, so it won't be the worst possible. That's oh true. shit! Exactly. There are there are three specials. There no. are three 60th anniversary specials. Shut so the it down. way that this is, yeah, that's it. Just just end it. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic because Davies is a great writer. I don't think he'd come back just to do empty nostalgia. Yeah. I also think that like Gatwa's fantastic casting. And I trust that this is a very calculated ploy to put pennies in the nostalgia piggy bank so we can cash out later on. Um, so that is my kind of temperature check. I'm not as hot as I would be if we were jumping straight to Gatwa, but I'm also warmer than I have been since yeah. uh, Moffat and Capaldi left. You seem to understand the reasoning behind it, or yeah. at least you think you do. Yeah, I hope I do, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Um, all right, we're getting, we're getting close to the end there. I want, I'm going to save... I don't want to rush the Arkham talks, so we're going to save the Arkham talk. Okay. There's Arkham okay? talk? <laughs> oh, no, I just wrote Arkham. down because you guys, Darren played a video game. I played Darren two video games. I'm playing a third video. Darren He's wrote behind on his watch stuff now because of these games. <laughs> I, 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 games are too long. I'm looking at my letterbox. And I'm like, man, I haven't been doing as much lately as I should be. And it's because how do you guys do it? How do you play games? Poorly, and, like, poorly. Watch TV? We don't, Darren. <laughs> I've watched one thing. <laughs> In the past two weeks. <laughs> oh yeah, that's say, say, Seb, have you? What is your deep dive? What have you been like? What is your like Will Smith, Bradley Cooper? Thing? I came through nothing because I've just been writing. <laughs> but Succession left me with such a, a hankering for some Brian Cox. And I was like, I want, I want to watch Troy. I want to see some Brian <laughs> Cox with his flowing locks and his Shakespearean chops before twelve o'clock. And I, I did that today. Are you rapping? Bars. I, I, bars. I, I, 
That that's a proper talk like about... that's a proper like Kenny Kenny Orr like rap yeah. there, yeah. yeah. Like talk L to the OG baby, yeah. Like Brian Cox, L to the OG, Peter O'Toole, like what yeah. a way to go. I was like, just a I... uh, just a chiseled Brad Pitt as Achilles. <laughs> that too. They said they yeah. showed so much Brad Pitt eating and so much Brad Pitt booty. <laughs> he loves he loves eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great cast though. Cheeks Got Orlando Bloom, and... Eric Bana. Yeah, Eric Bana. Yeah. A lot of Game it's... of Thrones peeps. Yeah, I was about to say so Troy or Alexander. I haven't seen Alexander yet. I want to watch that next. Ah. The weirdest thing is the Troy director's cut is great. The Alexander director cu- director's cut is shorter, which I'm like, what? What are we doing here? <laughs> I like Oliver Stone was like, I, I made too much. I, made, I did too yeah, much I movie. Cut, we got to pull this thing. thing. No, what I'm, 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 this, the I'm studio being like, more, more. That's what we want from you, more. I'm wow. Team Troy over Alexander. I'm Team Kingdom of Heaven over all of them. And I just lumped them yes. together because I think they came out in the same few years. So I kind of possibly, yeah. No. But they're the post gladiator kind of like trying Hollywood trying to figure out can they make another gladiator? Spoilers, the answer is no. Yeah. They'll, they'll that said, though. they are still trying to make another yeah. gladiator. They lost Barry Keoghan. I'm quite disappointed. They got Paul Mescal, though. Mm. They do. There you go. Yeah, no, so unfortunately, no deep dive. What I wanted to do and what I'm going to do is watch all the Batman movies. Cause I just want to see like who who's just who's my favorite Batman. Every it always comes up right when you're just walking out on the street. Oh, you come settle this <laughs> this, uh, this argument between can, me and my. We friend. can lay some we can lay some seeds. We can give ourselves some projects this summer for yeah. for the Flash. We could talk about the Batman that we like. For Indiana Jones, we could talk about all those Indiana Jones movies. No, we got Boppenheimer coming. We got Boppenheimer <laughs> weekend, which is going to be. I, know. Uh, I, I, I love. Frost, are you finally going to break glass on on Interstellar? <laughs> Break glass in case of Interstellar for for oh, Oppenheimer. Almost. Oh, I don't know. Like my girlfriend wanted to watch Interstellar this morning. I was like, I'm feeling Troy, and she's a big fan. She loves Troy and, and Alexander. So it's just like, I, I like saving my my uh, my. What's his name? Nolan. That's how much I love him. No, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I love um, by the way. I I like a good incentive. I like a good challenge. If anything, so I might yeah. break glass for for Oppenheimer. You know, you it is nice to go on here and riff. Uh, I'm, yeah. uh, alongside my deep dives of other things that I do. I love, by the way, that Marty was like, so for The Flash, we're going to talk about this character who is not actually The Flash. We're not going to talk about Ezra Miller <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I no, honestly prefer we're, not to. We're, yeah, we're leaning, we're leaning very much into the Warner Brothers marketing playbook of this, where like you have to imagine somebody in some meeting has been like, what if we just call it Batman? Like, what if it's, that's just the title? It's right. just Batman. Or just speaking of... Speaking of Andy, Andy Machete, uh, which I, I I probably didn't pronounce his name right, but um, it's kind of insane to me that they made a second It movie starring Bill Hader and no one talks about it. Like that was Bill Hader's last like giant starring movie role, and no have one talks seen about it? it. It's a bit weird. I have. It was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Why would we talk about that when there are? It's just weird that it hasn't about. even gotten like a critical reappraisal. Well, the first one was really good. I thought it was. was. I thought yeah. so too. Yeah. Uh, and I do, I do feel like the thing about the second one is that isn't Jaden Martell who plays the older version of Barry's son in Barry? Yeah, he. Yeah, there we go. So there you go. He's, That's the it chapter two connection right there. He's it, wait. Yeah, did he play yeah, young? Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> I didn't put the two of those together. Yeah. Oh my god, that's wild. I, I do love that Bill Hader's like, no, the audience know what a young version of me looks like, and it looks like Jaden Martell, the He's star like, of Book of Henry. Um, something something good has to come in my time on it, other than the vast <laughs> amount of money I was paid to do this, uh, to be chased by a killer clown. Um, oh, that's wild. I, I somehow didn't think of that. Um, 
No, but yeah, back to the topic of your video oh, yeah. game, Darren. <laughs> yeah. No, we're saving that for next oh, we're time. We're saving that. Okay. We're just gonna... No, it was more. <laughs> the, that's like a. It was that's more like the a topic, topic of like how how much the video game has taken of your time. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. That's a weird thing. Quite a lot. Yeah. Worryingly, like the thing is obviously, like we mentioned. So for patrons, there's a goal where we. I will talk about the last of us, and we've committed yes. to that, and we're figuring out like what form that will take. But I've been given permission to start playing. So I was like, I will ramp up to playing the last of us because I don't want to seem like an idiot. I will play some games that I'm already familiar with, and those are like the Batman Arkham series. Minecraft. And I was like, hey, I should also maybe try and like figure out what writing about video games is like. So I, I kind of asked Marty and I asked Nick, and they said, uh, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> we, we can't stop you. Um, what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Um, so that that's kind of what I'm I'm doing with those. I'm kind of just practicing before I take a step up to bat for The Last of Us, which is something people have actually paid for, and so I'm very nervous about doing. Um, it's so it's just me warming. Great. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's warming it's myself up. You. Uh, uh, are you, did you play the Spider-Man game, or do you have any interest in the Spider-Man I, game? I did play the Spider-Man. I played the Spider-Man Two coming as well. Uh, yeah, and they showed. I have a theory on Spider-Man Two. Ooh, so this the, is the, the fake they Craven. showed. Uh, they showed. They Craven, showed if you will. Oh, I like that. <laughs> they showed Spider-Man Two footage at last week's PlayStation Showcase. Yeah, we saw Craven. We saw Lizard. Uh, you play as both Peter and Miles. Uh, in what they showed, Peter already has the symbiote costume. Uh, my theory is that Peter is Venom, that there is no Eddie Brock in this game, and that we know Venom is in this game, and I think Peter, this game is about Peter's fall into becoming Venom. I don't think they're going to go and, like, kill Peter, but I think that the Venom that will start (laughs) fucking causing a ruckus in New York and that Miles is going to have to stop is Peter Parker and not Eddie Brock. I, I know. Has that ever been done in the comics? You know, I know you're not like an encyclopedia, but you read a lot of comics. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like the whole thing is that it makes him more violent. Like the venom, mm-hmm. even before he detaches himself from the ven- venom syndicate, it makes him more violent. Um, but I don't know that they've ever done like Venom controlling Peter Parker as an unstoppable monster. They've done like the Venom symbiont has obviously hopped around. It's been on like Matt Gargan Scorpion for a while. I think oh, during the, the yeah, which is an odd, odd choice. And obviously there's all the Venom children. Like Venom is apparently very horny. There are lots of Venom children out there Venom in the Spider-Man horny. universe. Yeah, I mean, with that tongue and that Tom Hardy yeah. energy, like it kind of yeah. just it has a vibe. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, not that I'm aware of. I'm just wondering now. I'm now I'm expecting the game to have a scene where Peter is in a church going, please, God, I don't ask you for much, but please kill Miles Morales. Yeah, I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Uh, have you, uh, uh, before we wrap up, have you, have you watched anything else? Is there anything else on your list? You've probably watched a lot, but anything notable? Um, well, I mean, I did see Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is a small teen movie that is in streaming. Yeah, that's what I found. It was really lovely. It was really gentle. Is it Kelly Freeman Craig is the director? Yeah, she did The yeah. Edge of 17, which I would wholeheartedly recommend yeah. watching. Um, I think that's fun. Haley Steinfeld's in that. Woody Harrelson's in that. Yeah. Check that out. I watched Hypnotic, the Ben Affleck uh, movie, Ooh, which is Robert bad. Rodriguez, right? Yeah, yeah. When I was leaving um, the screening of Little Mermaid, um, I was talking to the security staff because obviously they have security staff on to stop us film critics from recording it because film critics are notorious. Pirates. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to one of the security guys as I was leaving and he was like, so what do you think of that? And I'm like, didn't think it was very good. And he's like, yeah, but it was better than hypnotic, wasn't it? I'm like, you got me. 
you, you that's know. yeah, yeah. So that's a very very fair point can't. Yeah, that, <laughs> i can't argue with that and i rewatched into the spider-verse which is still the best spider-man movie or the best superhero movie of the past decade it's yeah, really good um yeah. and you can't talk about it yet but your uh, uh your video review for um across the spider-verse will be going yep. live within the next week obviously the movie comes yes. out soon so um yeah. that should be going live soon and yeah we'll have a lot more to discuss about that um I watched the first episode. The new season of I Think You Should Leave came out this morning. I just watched one episode because this is my favorite thing of all time. If you guys haven't watched I Think You Should Leave, it is the uh, it is the best sketch comedy. I'm just going to say ever. It's my favorite sketch comedy <laughs> show ever. Uh, and Tim Robinson is going to be the next one on the list of uh, Donald Glover, uh, Jesse Armstrong, and... <laughs> uh, uh, and Bill Hader, <laughs> where 10 years from now, he's going to make a serious movie. We're going to be like, oh, my God, Tim Robinson's a genius. Uh, and so uh, then, then uh, we include like uh, Peel. Jordan Peel. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jordan yeah, Peel. Yeah. Well, my 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 point keeps getting stronger. <laughs> uh, I think you should leave is absolutely insane. I'm sure you've seen uh, the memes of it. Uh, yeah, season three just dropped today, and I watched the yeah. first episode, and it's wonderful. And Deebs, I have seen Detroiters. I think Detroiters is also wonderful. Um, they can do no wrong. Yeah, could do no wrong. <laughs> Sloppy steaks. <laughs> they could do no wrong in my mind. Or the crazy um, shirts. Coffin flops. I yeah. <laughs> what at the funeral episode of, of, of Succession, <laughs> all I was thinking is <laughs> coffin flops. Just bodies busting out of shit wood and hitting pavements. <laughs> um so yeah, that's great. Um oh my god, yeah, even you can go Bob Odenkirk to to uh, oh, from yeah, Mr. Show to, doubles, uh, doubles is best. Yeah, doubles, doubles. doubles. <laughs> we got triples, triples of the pinto. Um, incredible. Uh, and Sorry, uh, I love that this is just references to this thing. That one of my like. favorite things is when the show devolves into us getting excited and saying proper nouns or just quoting things. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, ah, with four nine and I don't know from a little while ago. Thank you so much. Uh, Darren is the friend we all wish we could make at the bar. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh sweet. Um. <laughs> Big, big think, drunk bar energy. I like that. <laughs> screaming about doubles and triples. Um, <laughs> triples are best. Yeah, triples are the best. Uh, I think I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, uh, Frost, where can folks find you? What should folks check out? Do, do, do see me here. We've got the videos that have come through. Frost, as uh, first official episode of Frostbite is just released to the public. There you go. And for the early access, you've got your new cold take just waiting there for you. And I believe we have the editor's hour stream like in an hour. In an hour. Editor's hour Edit in an hour. It's going to be uh, perfect. Nick and I, what's he playing? He's going to be playing the, Gun, uh, yeah, Bolt Gun, which is the boomer shooter in the Warhammer universe, which is apparently really good. Yeah, there you go. Darren, do you know what a boomer shooter is? I'm guessing it's a shooter aimed at gentlemen who are about the age of 60 or over. Yeah, so no, I mean, right. in theory, yeah, that's what the name, yeah. that's oh, what okay, the name okay. is okay. meant to, but it's supposed to be like uh, shooters in the vein of like the 90s, like Doom. Oh, like Doom. Uh, okay, so the yeah, ones that yeah. I would be familiar with in my Yeah, but I'm like, those are Golden Eye like, or. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 36 and I'm familiar with those, so I don't know what's, what's going on here. Gen, Gen X shooter doesn't really yeah. work. Yeah, it really doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, yeah, cool. So check uh, check Frost out and all that. Um, Darren, what about you? Obviously, you mentioned uh, uh, we'll, we'll be having your Across the Spider-Verse uh, review soon. But aside yeah, from that. Um, so the, the audio is in for that. Uh, the text is in for that for the subs. Uh, I That article I wrote about playing Arkham is up on the site now. So I was playing Arkham City. I wrote about how I think it uses the language of video games in a way that really builds on the Batman mythos. 
uh, in a way that arguably isn't possible in conventional narrative forms like comic books or TV or films. It is probably very stupid and smarter people have probably said it better than I have, but have a look. Let me know what you think. Um, tomorrow, um, our Out of Focus, will be looking at Barry because I covered Succession quite recently. I suspect next Wednesday's Out of Focus, we'll probably be looking at Succession, not to jump too far ahead because it's my column and I can do what I want with it. Thank you very much. Yes. And then obviously on Friday, um, we'll be looking at Across the Spider-Verse in the frame we'll be covering um, Across the Spider-Verse. Um, so that's all the fun stuff we have lined up. And I do also need to get back to like talking to Nick and figuring out what we're doing video-wise for in the frame. Um, I've just it's been kind of chopping up. It is, it's going back this summer. So we need yeah. to figure out what that's going to look like. Because um, I, I get the sense that I'm like, I, I, I have a, like a 20-minute essay about like Beast Wars. And, and Nick's like, could you do indie? And I'm like, maybe I could. <laughs> However, Beast Wars. I think yeah. we're living in a world where Beast Wars is going to review better than indie. Man, I don't know if I yeah. want to be around anymore. Really? Yeah. yeah so. Premiering that, if that movie is what I think it is based on people that I've talked to about it, premiering that a can was one of the great like tactical errors with it. It's like, like a very strange move. It's like the the way to do it is what they're doing with the Flash. And again, this is something to talk about when both movies are out, obviously. But like it's like the Flash is a movie that plays very well to an extremely online audience that loves nostalgic callbacks and references to things they already know. Can if you're premiering a pop film at Cannes, it needs to be like a triumph of a certain kind of filmmaking and a celebration of film as an art form unto itself. Like Mad Max Fury Road, for example, premiered at yeah. Cannes. Top Gun Maverick crowned Tom Cruise the king of Cannes like yeah. a year ago. And it's like, if you're looking at what Dial of Destiny seems to be, uh, based on what I'm talking to people who have seen it, it feels like a really mis misreading the moment to think that you're more like Top Gun than you are like The Flash. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, we'll have we'll have more on that uh, throughout <laughs> June as we as those movies uh, drip towards us. And PJ Doolin with the two dollar dono, thank you so much. Yes, Marty, it was such a good start to the season. But I think you should leave. It is great. I'm I'm pacing myself because I'm like, do I? They're sit only down fifteen and minutes. Yeah, I know. And like, I could just watch them all in the next like hour. Yeah, no, I don't want to do I, that. I could, I, I could watch them on my lunch, which is the yeah. thing. Like, that, that's, it's really tempting. They're very Moorish. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we'll have more on that. And then uh, for me, I have a couple. Uh, stay tuned to the site. I have a couple uh, written articles on on Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm writing about my time playing Asura's Wrath. Uh, check those out, and then all the normal streams this week. We'll be back tomorrow with um, post CP and and breakout and all that good stuff. And then uh, you can follow me on my personal Twitch channel, which is at McBiggity. Uh, I started Mario Sunshine yesterday. I'm going to play some more of that later this evening. So tune in for that. Um, so for uh, Darren and Frost, this is Marty. This was episode number 34 of the recap. Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in, for for being members, for for super chatting, for just being uh, uh, wonderful as we gabbed about this. Um, hope you all have a great rest of your Tuesday, and we'll see you all soon.